Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Time for Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Nick Cousin of KVRR in Fargo as we will look back on the Kansas Jayhawks National Championship as well as a preview of Masters later on. We'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as well as our Tom Fullery Story of the Week at the end of the show as well. Thomas Bridges joins me as well. And, you know, there's, there's so much going on in the world, whether it's UNC knocking off Coach K or getting to go to WrestleMania this past weekend, which was my first ever wrestling event, never seen anything like it before. Or there's the news that uh, the reality TV star, Courtney Kardashian, and that uh, drummer with the tattoo on his face, uh, Travis Barker, get married by an Elvis impersonator. All those things are going on in the world. 2022 is a great year. But the big story today is that the Kansas Jayhawks are the national champions of college basketball. And now I get to have my day. I get to have my time to gloat and be happy. Uh, there's no feeling like it. I am so proud of this university and this team for pulling it off. Uh, the, the, the unexpected, uh, I'll put it that way, for them to come from where they were even just a few weeks ago to get to this point and win a national championship it is really hard to put into words, but we will do our best to do so on today's show as Thomas Bridges slides in now. Tom, um, I'm on cloud nine right now. You know, it, it's it's hard to be in a better mood than I am right now of a championship. And, you know, we, we don't have these moments very often on this show. I mean, in, in the time span that we've done this thing in our 10 years, you had the Rams winning the Super Bowl back in February. And I had the Chiefs win the Super Bowl a few years ago. And the Royals won it, you know, back in, you know, 2015. But for the two of us, that's been it in our stretch. And here we are. Look at us. I mean, the last, you know, two, three months have been a pretty good living for uh, the Jones Report. We're on quite a ride right now. I'm, I'm ecstatic, Tom. I'm feeling very similar to how you felt a couple of months, a couple months ago. Right. Yeah. Just about a month and a half ago, I was in the same way. And, you know, you had mentioned the Royals and before that, I guess it would have been the Spurs in 2014. But other than that, you know, not a whole, not, not 
Uh, we're slowly we're, – we're making our way. We're going to be Titletown Jones Report here before too long, I'm hoping. Um, so now we just got to – we got to get OSU to put up a, a championship of some sort. Yeah, uh, that's uh, our hope in football on this show. It's not a, not my school. Um, but we don't have to talk about Kansas football today. It's all about uh, the uh, Jayhawks bringing home that national title. And I saw it, Jones. You, you shed a tear. Uh, I, I was very choked up. Here was the scene for you. Let me set this up to let the folks at home know what I was doing. I didn't make it out to New Orleans, didn't make it out to Lawrence, had to stay back here in Dallas. But I went to this place, Tom, called the Nodding Donkey. It was in uptown Dallas, um, a, a restaurant and bar, and it is known as the Kansas, Kansas City Fan Bar. And uh, I'd actually heard about it from some of my coworkers because it's just down the road from our office. And they go there all the time. And they're telling me, yeah, that's, that's the place to go watch the game. Sure enough, the official KU alumni watch party was there both nights. And I felt like I was right back in Lawrence again around my fellow KU brethren. And everybody was into it all weekend long. Um, you know, the, the place went nuts just as both games started. Uh, it was unbelievable. I, I felt right at home. Even though I would have loved to have been in New Orleans or, or would have loved to have been in Lawrence, I was so glad to be right there among uh, my fellow Jayhawks and, and to witness everything like that. Um, I, I don't even want to look at what my bar tab was on Monday night, Tom. It's one of those that uh, I'll get my you know bank statement later and, and deal with the consequences after that. Like uh, you, you just got to go all out when you win a championship. Yeah, you do. I don't blame you. I would have done the same thing. Um, had that been any of my teams in, in the, you know, I guess at this point it would have been OSU in the college basketball championship. Um, I would definitely have been out of the bar. I would, you, you did it better than I did would have done it though. I guess, I guess you're spry a bit younger than I am. Um, not, not by too much, more like four years, four, three and a half years. So not too, too much, but when you get closer to 30, I would have had to call in the next day for sure. Especially, at, especially after the comeback. It's not like KU dominated the whole game. Like at, that, at halftime, I, I know you, I was a little bit worried for your team. I thought, Oh, shit. you know, I, I think uh, at that point, I think my, you might've been a little, a, a tad bit worried too. So, in my optimistic opinion, when they were down 15 and a half, I gave them about a 40% chance of still coming back and winning that game. It, it looked unlikely, but there was still a sliver of hope that you looked back at what this team did in the Miami game that you believed it could, could have been done. And sure enough, first shot, Start of the second half, place goes nuts. And then they start to get on a run, cut the lead in half. And I'm like, okay, it's happening. It's really happening. And, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Uh, largest comeback in national championship history. The largest deficit. Um, and, you know, I'm so happy for Bill Self. He has been through a lot over these last few years of – the, this NCAA investigation, this bogus uh, FBI stuff, and, you know, it's suffered in recruiting 
They haven't been able to get the players that they would like. And it's lingered over this program. You had the 2020 team that would have been the number one overall seed that was the favorites going into that tournament. And it got taken away from them. They didn't get to complete that season. And Bill Self has been waiting for that second national title since 2008. His dad passed away uh, a few months ago. And his dad always had this theme. Don't worry about the mules. Just load the wagon. And I tell you what, this team loaded the wagon throughout this postseason. The way that Ochai Baji stepped up in crunch time, in particular that Villanova game, he was terrific. Remy Martin came alive beginning with the Big 12 tournament. And, you know, on this show, you know, I have been, Tom, uh, as objective as they come. I sincerely believe that. I doubted this team, quite frankly. I said before the Big 12 tournament that if they don't get Remy Martin involved heavily in what they do, they will be out by the first weekend. And they adjusted. They got Remy Martin involved, and now they're national champions. And you know what? If Remy Martin did not get involved, they would have probably lost to Creighton and been out that first weekend. So – you know, I I saw his potential, and they needed him to be a part of this, and they found a role for him as a sixth man playing that Manu Ginobili-type role and still being on the floor in crunch time and such, and he was terrific. And I just loved what I saw from this team. And, you know, with them not bringing in the five-star players, this Kansas team, when you looked at it, they don't have anybody that's just a, a superstar top five pick. They don't have any one and duns on this Kansas team. It was built by a variety of talent. You know, one through eight, they were the best team entering this weekend. Duke, the most NBA talented team this weekend. Um, but Kansas, the most depth. And it showed. Um, to me, that was so cool to see that a team like, like this – could figure things out that they could play together as a unit, that it was collectively. Bill Self was saying in the postgame, he was talking about how, you know, the, the previous champions, you know, you go back to the 88 team, you know, Danny Manning, that was known as Danny and the Miracles. And the 2008 team was, uh, you know, Mario's Miracle, the Mario Chalmers shot. This is, he called it the 2022 Miracle. It was just a collective effort. It was the way basketball is supposed to be played I, I i loved it what this team put together the way that they fought back and and you know times got tough you know manic was a problem they could not guard him but they adjusted well and ultimately pulled it off great story jones were you nervous when they inbounded the ball and i can't think who it was stepped out of bounds yes when he stepped out uh like, no not like this not like this that's what i, I was I was mind. like, oh, my gosh, do not give up a three. I don't want to play five more minutes. You know, one of my – I think one of Thomas's favorite quotes I've ever said was uh, going into overtime before the Kansas-Oklahoma triple overtime game several years back. I said something to the effect of this game deserves five more minutes. Um, when that was going on, I'm like, please, win this now. Do not play overtime. Put them away. Be done with this. Because UNC – Give them credit. Even though they blew that lead, and I don't even want to say they blew that lead, 
it was not a choke job. It was more so Kansas coming back in this game, but it felt like North Carolina would not go away. They kept stay, they stayed there the entire time. So I was so ready for that game to end in regulation. And fortunately uh, they got to stop when they needed to in the, in the biggest moment there, but it came that close to playing five more minutes and, and who knows North Carolina very well may have pulled it off if they played five more minutes, Tom. They very well could have. And, you know, Brady Manick played a hell of a game, you know, slipped on that final possession. And then you had Baycott, who I, I think is a future NBA player. He's tough as nails. And, and it may have been a different outcome if Baycott was 100% healthy. I mean, he played a hell of a game with being, you know, shorthanded, you know, on, on a limp there. I, I give that guy, you know, he's a grinder. That, that guy deserves a lot of credit for how much he fought through. Yeah, they don't they don't make him like him anymore. <laughs> no, no, he was he was fun to watch. Uh, you know, and, and that was the thing too was Tom going into this championship. There was such respect both ways, right? You know, Hubert Davis, first year at North Carolina. Um, this team back in January wasn't even going to make the tournament. They were on the outside looking in on bracketology, make their way in. And, you know, they, they get on a run to end the season. They spoil Coach K's final game there at, at, uh, at Duke, you know, Cameron Indoor. And then they go, uh, you know, all the way to the Final Four. You know, they knock off Baylor, knock off, you know, St. Peter's and UCLA. And, and we were all rooting for them on Saturday night as they crushed Coach K's dreams and – you know, took took them out, and, and that was so great to see. It was it was a level of respect, not only because you know the connections that both schools have with the Roy Williams and such, but uh, for it, it was just respect. You you were happy for North Carolina of what they did taking out Coach K. You were thankful that they beat Coach K. That um, a loss would have stung, sure, but I, I I'm so. I would have felt much worse, Tom, if Kansas would have gone out losing to Coach K and letting Coach K go out on top than if they would have lost to North Carolina. I mean, the very the absolute worst outcome this weekend would have been if Coach K would have been a national champion, gone out on top, and after this uh, just disgusting retirement tour and all the narcissism that Coach K has had. That would have been the absolute worst outcome. I would, have, I would have stepped away with this weekend. If North Carolina would have beat Kansas, I would have said, okay, at, at the very least, at least we didn't have Coach K come out as the national champion here. There was a respect for North Carolina for doing everybody's dirty work, essentially. I agree with that. And can you imagine the media circle jerk that would have been ongoing for pretty much until college basketball started again? Oh. Had a Coach K going out on top. Oh, it would have made me sick. And it's not hate Coach K or anything like that. He's great. It's the but media's I, obsession with Coach K. Yeah, I hate the retirement tour BS. And that's probably because, like, Tim Duncan never did it. Uh, Pop, Greg Popovich would never do it. And it's just, it's narcissistic. And it's just like, holy, it's like, shut the f up. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like. It's just like, can we, can we not, can we, but you can only circle jerk a man so much. Right. <laughs> right. 
I mean, you look at this Kansas team, they're the national champs when it's all said and done, but they're probably what the third biggest story of this tournament. UNC knocking out Duke and ending Coach K's career is one. St. Peter's as a 15 seed making it to the Elite Eight is probably two. Kansas is three. And you know what, Tom? I'm fine with that. That's okay with me. The pressure was never on Kansas. It was a unique situation. They went into this weekend as the favorites, as the team to beat, the highest seed remaining. But nobody was talking about Kansas. Um, They flew under the radar. And all the attention was on Duke and and even North Carolina and such. Um, You know, there there was, I think, you know, to Kansas fans – they were ready to get the monkey off the back of finally beating Villanova in the tournament. But uh, it was such a matinee to the big game. And, and quite frankly, on, on Saturday, the Kansas-Villanova game wasn't even that great of a game either, you know? I mean, Kansas beat the crack, crap out of them. But you know what? Like, I'll take that. You know, it, it's, it's okay to be forgotten about because I, I think Bill Self used that to his advantage. It, it took the took the pressure off this Kansas team. Worked out for their benefit. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I, I don't think the I think a lot of the times that limelight being on you can can end up derailing you. And I think a, a lot of that, you know, Gonzaga. We'll talk about Gonzaga being the number one team, smaller school. Uh, you know, being the number one seed coming in, all that hype on you. You know, if you're not built to last, you know, you mentioned depth. And I don't think this Gonzaga team had the depth that they had even last year. You know, that'll weigh on you. That's another factor. So I think you take that out of it. I mean, hell, you, you almost appreciate it. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds for this Kansas program. You know, the the NCAA eventually is going to have their day and, you know, put – their business out, whatever it may be. And the, the route that Kansas is gone, they can't appeal. Um, you know, Ochai's likely gone, Christian Braun and and uh, McCormick and company. I mean, those guys are likely all out of here. Mitch Lightfoot's gone and such. Um, but it, it was one of those deals where it was, you know, such a time as this. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I admire about this Kansas fan base is that they are some of the most educated fans out there. They know about their team more than the analysts on television know about their team. And I've been amazed seeing the shots out on Mass Street in Lawrence and the people on Bourbon Street in in New Orleans that are really just taking this all in. I mean, my own sister, Tom, who you, you know my sister. She's not a big sports fan. She didn't go to KU. She lives in Lawrence. And she even, you know, soaked in every bit of this championship and was out there on Mass Street and cheering on KU and everything. I mean, that is, that's a unique thing. You know, we, we don't talk about that. You know, there's, uh, it, and it goes back to the coach, Bill Self, with the tradition that he's carried on. You know, one of the things I, I pointed out before the, the championship game itself, uh, I, I tweeted this out on my Twitter feed at Tyler Jones Live, uh, I said this. Uh, one of the things I've admired about Bill Self is his respect for the history and the tradition of KU. Self has always said, faces change, but expectations don't. Tonight is a unique opportunity to write the next chapter in the best way possible. Let's ride 
rock chalk. And those fans, those people, they just get it in Lawrence, Kansas. It is different there. Uh, they live it. They breathe it. They know it. And uh, that was cool to see. And it all goes back to the culture that Built Self has built. Jones, yeah, you mentioned that. And, you know, the culture, you, you mentioned the, you know, faces change, expectations don't. You know, that's when you know you have a solid program. As much as I hate to say it, God, it pains me to say. I mean, you can say that the same thing. That's kind of how OU's built. Um, I mean, that's kind of their MO is, the, you know, especially coming in after, uh, you know, the Lincoln Riley ordeal. You know, it's, they're kind of on the same faces change, expectations don't, you know, just because a new person comes in doesn't mean we're not still trying to win the whole damn thing every year. Um, mentioned that, and you, you mentioned the NCAA too. How about Mike, Mark Emmert saying the Kansas City Jayhawks? I mean, Mark Emmert is just a dumbass, right? I mean, I mean he is running I, one of the worst organizations in America that literally serves no purpose anymore. He is a figurehead, and his job is just to give out the trophy, get the names right, and go away. And he couldn't even get the names right. I mean, uh, Mike er, – Mike, see, now I can't even call him the right name. <laughs> Mark Emmerich, I mean, the guy needs to be fired immediately. My goodness. I mean, he's a crook. He's, you know, not, not to mention, it's not like it, it was just some random university that won the national championship. You know, you could call him – you could have called instead of St. Petersburg, maybe you say like, I don't know, St. Pittsburgh. I don't, I don't know, but this is Kansas. We're talking about, this it's is not a like one of those deals where, you know, you're, you're saying, you know, welcome to Dallas and the games in Arlington, you know, no, 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 no. This was, uh, you, you literally called them the name of another school uh, called University of Kansas City. You know, I mean, like, it's a whole nother school. That's 45 minutes down the road. It's called UMKC. I'm sure they were appreciative of the shout-out. That's the closest UMKC's ever going to touch the tournament, let alone the yeah. title. That's very true. Yeah, but, you know, I thought that was funny. Um, you know, especially, obviously, you know how I feel about the NCAA here of lately. Yeah. Uh, but maybe KU's day does come um you know that's still yet to be seen but uh you know i, I think ku fans like you mentioned you got to soak it all in while you can because there could come a day where ncaa lays down some egreg sorry some stupid penalty yeah uh, that you know that that bans them for a couple of years who knows i don't know i don't know what's going to happen that's but that that's a story for another day the story now is you know your Jayhawks are national champions. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the last points we'll make here on this, um, I got to give credit. I know that the, the Big 12 has been, you know, such a mess, you know, losing Oklahoma and Texas. And, you know, we, we get the news this week that uh, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the conference, is, uh, is going to be out. Uh, that he's being kind of pushed out the door after uh, losing Oklahoma and Texas. And that idiot still doesn't know how he lost Oklahoma and Texas. That's a whole nother story. But even with that being said, with all the problems in the Big 12, one of the silver linings of sorts has been how good the basketball has been in this league, right? And you look at the last three Final Fours now, there's been a Big 12 team in the title game, Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas. And the last two national champions, 
both from the Big 12, Kansas and Baylor. And then uh, the uh, you know, Jayhawks, of course, were the number one, would have been the number one overall seed back in 2020. And credit where credit's due. I think this Kansas team was in large part prepared for this tournament because of what they went through in this league for all the tough teams that they faced. You know, even a team like Oklahoma, who finished, what, seventh in the Big 12, um, probably would have been a tournament team in any of the other major conferences. Um, You played essentially six other tournament teams all the time. And then some teams in Oklahoma State, K-State, West Virginia that were not bad, that could win in this league on any given night. And so I think that there's something to be said the recent success in, of the Big 12 in the tournament is in large part of what these teams are being prepared for. Remember, before that, we were seeing the Big 12 was good, but they weren't having the tournament success. Now we're seeing this league is great, and the tournament success is showing for it. And in Kansas's case, uh, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention what the rest of the league did for Kansas. This is KU's title but this reflects really good on this league and what this league has done over the years in its basketball programs, uh, what they've shown for it. Uh, It's no coincidence that their teams are winning it every year. And it's the reason why this, this league has been the best conference every year is what they're doing to get their teams ready for March. You look at the, you look at the teams, big 12 teams that made the tournament. Sure. Baylor got upset. Um, Yeah. They lost to, the, the, the second best team in the whole thing, you know, I mean, who yeah, knows? maybe Taylor really was one of the top five teams in the country. Well, there you go. And then tech had a, had a decent run. Hell you look at Iowa state, Iowa state one game away from playing KU in a rematch or, you know, in a, a big 12 tournament game. Right. Uh, then you look at TCU. Oh, should have, could have, would have knocked off Arizona. Um, and then you have Texas, you know, and they, they played tough against the Purdue team that was I thought was solid. Um, so, I mean, all around, all the Big 12 teams in it, were, I thought, played great. Um, you know, only one team can obviously make it. And, um, but for the rest of them, hell, look, I mean, the TCU really shocked me, honestly. Um, TCU, especially from wherever they're at. And you can even say the same thing for Iowa State, uh, a team that won two years two games the prior year comes in and, and almost makes the elite eight. Uh, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a tournament it was. Um, and I'm not saying this just because my team won it, Tom, but I, I think this was the best tournament I've ever seen. Um, between the, you know, we, we had everything. We still got four blue bloods in the final four. We had a 15 seed, our Cinderella, get all the way to the Elite Eight. We had incredible first and second round games. Um, you know, you had the storyline with, with Coach K and Coach K getting beat. You know, uh, that's the other thing. I was saying before this tournament, Tom, I was rooting for Coach K to have an early exit. I thought that would have been the best way to go out. I was wrong. I, I'm actually glad they made the Final Four in losing to North Carolina. I think that was actually the best way possible for Coach Gay to go out uh, was to lose the North Carolina in the Final Four. I mean, it would have been funny, sure, if they would have gone out early, but to lose on that stage to your arch rival like that, uh, to me, that was great. 
And, and of course, you know, with, with Kansas and the comebacks they had with the Miami game and, and then, you know, the, the Carolina game, largest comeback in tournament history. Um, to me, yeah, it, it was the best tournament. Not trying to sound prisoner of the moment or anything, but to me, this was the best tournament I've ever seen. I mean, and you, you mentioned some of the other games, too. Um, you know, thought the Texas-Purdue game was solid. I thought the best overall game. Well, I don't even know if I could say that. It's, that's tough. Uh, I mean, hell, the Duke. I mean, UNC- those final two games, the Duke-UNC game and the UNC-Kansas game are two all-time games. I mean, if ESPN Classic was still around, they'd be airing those games 40 years down the road. Yeah, 100%. I also thought that, you know, Baylor, UNC, Baylor almost comes back and, and wins. That game was a classic. I thought TCU-Arizona was a classic game. That was one of the better games I thought of the tournament. TCU-Arizona was solid. I mean, there are several other games, um, you know, that you could pick from. I mean, just all throughout, you know, the quality of games, there was not a whole lot of just down your throat blowouts. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Tom. Um, we will uh, move on, but we still have more tournament discussion, more on Kansas's national championship when our guy Nick Cousin joins us coming up in just a few moments. And uh, we'll also talk about the Masters with him uh, when he joins us. But that gives us a good transition before we get to Nick to talk about the Masters, which starts on uh, Thursday. And some of you may be uh, listening to us later in the week with the Masters already in progress, but nonetheless, uh, here we are, and we got to start with Tiger Woods. Tiger going to give it a go. He is going to play uh, at this point. And, Tom, I would say that just the fact that Tiger is getting out there 14 months removed from the car accident that he had and, you know, almost lost his life that day uh, is a success in itself. If he misses the cut – Maybe if he doesn't even finish, I don't care. Just the fact that Tiger is getting back out there in Augusta, that's a great story in itself. I would be shocked if he is competing on Sunday. Um, but, you know, we've seen crazy stuff from Tiger before. Him winning, you know, the U.S. Open on uh, a, a broken leg, you know, and and coming back and winning the Masters after all he went through and such. If, it, if you know, I... I I'll say this much. Would I be surprised if Tiger's competing on Sunday? Absolutely. But I'm not doubting his abilities to do it. If Tiger's also been one of the things, too, is that if if he doesn't look good, he's not forcing himself out there. He only goes out there if he has a certain confidence about him. So if Tiger feels good, then uh, then who knows how good he really is then because he he's – he holds himself to a certain standard, and that's part of the reason why he's so great. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he plays. And, you know, um, there's no – he's not going to win it, is he? No, I, I don't I know. So. I'm, I'm kidding. There was somebody on ESPN that picked him, and they, their, their reason for why is just because he's the greatest of all time. But, um, you know, I hope he does well. I hope he has a great show in hell. I hope he makes it to Sunday. That would be incredible. Um, it'd be hard not to root. You know, if you root against Tiger, uh, you know, you must be a part of his ex-wife's family or something. Uh, I mean, you know, even, t- even Tiger's ex-wife's family roots for him, probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, 
you know, you would have more reason to root against the unemotional, uneventful, no swagger ass having Brooks Kepka than you would against Tyre Woods. Uh, uh, let's let's not throw Brooks out of the bus. He's gained a lot of swagger in the last couple of years, but I get he's he's gotten a he's gotten a little bit better. Um, but you know, I, you know, even I bet Brooks Kupka family ro- roots for uh, Tiger Woods since they don't really root for their own son, <laughs> right? Jones, uh, who do you have? Who's your Who's your picks? We do this every year. Okay, Give, we'll here's, do three. here's my top three that I'll pick. Um, I got Brooks actually as my number one. This is the only major he hasn't won. And he is the best at majors. His numbers are way better than anybody else. And what we've seen the last few years when it came Masters time is he's been injured or couldn't play, whatever. Uh, he's coming in, playing some good golf right now and such. Brooks is my number one pick. Number two, I have John Rahm. And I, this is the best bet of the weekend for me, is John Rahm finishing top ten. John Rahm has been money at finishing top five the last several years in the Masters, but he hasn't won it yet. He did win a major last year. And if you remember, uh, you know, he was on his way to winning, uh, you know, an event last year and they forced him to pull out because he tested positive for COVID, even though he was asymptomatic and he was six shots back. And then he came back a couple of weeks later to win the U.S. Open. Uh, you know, they kicked him out of the Olympics and all that. And, you know, he, he still had a, a hell of a year. Hasn't played great to start off this year, but he knows Augusta. I think he can. He is a. He is the best bet. Put your money down for him to finish top ten. I don't think he wins, but I think he finishes top ten because he's got that track record of it. My third pick after that is Victor Hovland. Uh, Hovland's played really good golf. He's one of the best young golfers on tour. Hasn't won a major yet. He's had his moments and such. Uh, I think he very well could win on Sunday, but those are my top three. Brooks, John Rahm, and Victor Hovland. How about you, Tom? Jones, for the sake of being a little bit different than yours, um, I will pick two different ones. First one being Colin Morikai. I think I think Morikai, you know, he had Morikawa. The- I'm sorry, Morikawa, sorry. Sorry. Wow. Now I'm getting the names wrong, like Mark Emmerich. Uh, <laughs> right. Um you know, wins the PGA in the Open. Um, I, I think this is the next step for him. Uh, I like him to win this weekend. If I had to put my money down, I'm putting it on Colin. Um, next one, probably probably going to be John Rahm. That seems to be the, the I don't know, maybe more of a consensus pick. Um, you know, even if he doesn't win, I, I, I'm thinking at least top, top five. Um, and then Jones – you know, one you mentioned too, Victor Hovland, um, fan favorite of mine, obviously, for reasons I don't even have to disclose, go pokes. Um, I think he's right there. If I had to pick one more, it'd probably be Cameron Smith. Um, three top tens at Augusta. You know, that's 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 a sure shot. That's, uh, you know, if we had to, you know, pick top three or, you know, in the snake draft, I'd, I'd fill Cam Smith in on one of mine. Um I think I think we're gearing up for a great weekend at the Masters. It's always a great weekend. Well, um, and worth, I hope Tiger makes it to Sunday. I do too. And if you're somebody looking to bet this and such of the majors, this is the easiest to bet, and it's the easiest of the four to win. Quite frankly, even though 
we, we talk about the Masters as being, you know, the, the top of the food chain of the four major tournaments. You know, it is, it's the, it's the class of the field, right? But even then, these guys go to this course every year. It's the only one of the four they're back every single year, right? And then on top of that, half the field is, you know, these amateurs and these old guys that don't have any chance whatsoever. And it's the smallest field of the four involved here. Um, you know, re realistically, Tom, there's only about 15 guys that can win the Masters this weekend. And you'll hear all the pros say that. John Rahm and others, you know, will, will say, yeah, there's probably only about 15 that, that they can probably win this thing. Any given week on the tour, there's probably at least 30 that can win. But this week, yeah, I, I think it's only 15, and I think – we've probably hit four of those guys right there of that 15. If you made me fill it out from that point, um, you know, who those other guys would be. Uh, I think Adam Scott is a name you bring up. Uh, I think Bubba Watson is a name uh, that you had to mention, you know, Justin Thomas, uh, Justin Rose, uh, Dustin Johnson, um, Jordan Spieth. And then a few more, and that's really about it. I'm seeing a lot of play for Scotty Scheffler, too, who's been on a hot streak. That wouldn't surprise me either. I would expect a top 10 out of him. Yeah. Scheffler, Scotty's an interesting one. Got some um, momentum. Yeah, he does. Um, I would be I'm very intrigued to see what he does. He is number one of the world golf rankings, um, but, you know, this isn't necessarily his, his strong suit. You know, he, he's, uh, you know, I, he, he hasn't played Augusta a whole lot, uh, you know, in his career. So I, I don't know about Scotty if necessarily, but I, I see where you're going with that. But it should be a lot of fun. Uh, one of the guys that won't be there is Phil Mickelson. Uh, Phil Mickelson, of course, Won the uh, PGA Championship last year, became the oldest major champion, and you know he he has this you know this scandal of sorts, if you want to call it that, where he was uh, looking at playing on the Saudi Arabia tour tour that Greg Norman's putting together, and there's been much controversy about it with the human rights violations there in uh, Saudi Arabia. He's lost sponsors over it. I mean KPMG, who's been with him forever um is gone and such and and he's taking time to step away and, and we're not going to see him this weekend the masters said that you know he was invited but he declined to show up and you know I, I i'm disappointed in that you know tom i don't really care what phil mickelson feels about saudi arabia and such you know or what's going on i i don't care at all um yeah, hasn't he suffered enough with the sponsors and the money that he's lost and such? I mean, um, and then if, if he did, if if everyone's being honest here, and if he's not really suspended and he opted himself not to participate in this event, to me, I would I, I would find that disheartening in the sense of isn't Tiger going to have all the spotlight with his comeback? Wouldn't have this actually been the right opportunity? For Phil to come back and such now, the next major is the PGA Championship in Tulsa, and he would be the defending champion there. If that's his comeback, his first major back, 
there's going to be way more spotlight than there would be if he was the second fiddle to Tiger this weekend. Right, that is true. And, you know, I think maybe for him, would he have a chance to win it? You know, you never can say with Phil Mickelson. Um, but, you know, I guess for whatever reason, I, 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 you say that too, and, and the, the spotlight in Tulsa will be on Phil if he decides that's his master's to come – or just, sorry, his event to come back and play. Um, as the reigning champ, yeah. Which I, I would assume he would. Um, you know, it, it, speaking of that, I know you're in Texas, but I don't live too far from – Southern Hills, and I can tell you just from driving by there almost every day, uh, a lot of work is being done to that course right now. We'll be there. Uh, I mean, you will be there. I will not, unfortunately. I will be on the sideline watching. But um, I wanted to be there. I could have volunteered, but they wanted me to volunteer and be the cashier in the pro shop for a day, Um, and I did not care to do i've done enough cashiering in my younger days that i was not about to do that but um yeah should be a great time and 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 you know i think a lot of you know you mentioned tulsa's the next one up i think a lot of tulsa will be watching the masters more so i'd like to see the ratings i, I wonder if they increase as they get rose closer because uh you know obviously masters is what it is but looking forward to uh you know the championship in tulsa it's it's going to be uh, there's going to be a, a, a ton of people here. It's going to be a ton of traffic. Jones, when I went to Tampa for the Rams Bucks game, I talked probably one out of every. Not going to lie to you, one out of every probably seven people I talked to at the game were like, "Oh, you're from Tulsa. We're coming up there in a couple of months for the PGA Championship." There's going to be a lot of people here, um, and I'm excited for it. And you know, I'll be watching the Masters probably. I. I don't know. I feel like we every year we watch the Masters pretty intently. Um, but I, I might even watch closer this year. Tiger tees off. Um, I, I feel like, Tom, that, uh, you know, the Masters with, with Tiger playing too, especially if he makes the cut, is going to be the biggest golf event of the year. No question. Um, but usually the PGA is like the number four major, you know, on the calendar. I think that Tiger's second event back, um, more rust under his belt, more time, you know, more recovery. Phil Mickelson, his first event back. I would think that he he has to be back to defend the PGA title. Um, and being, you know, riding the momentum that comes with the Masters, uh, I think the PGA this year is going to be the second biggest event on the calendar. Uh, I, I know that it may sound biased of me being there and, you know, in, in from Tulsa and everything, but I, I really do. I think that we're going to see some momentum from the Masters roll over the PGA Championship, and it's uh, it's going to be a great couple months of golf here. I think so. I'm excited for it. You know, the show's coming out on a Thursday, so by the time this releases, Tiger Woods is already teed off. Um, so... Past Tom is hoping future Tiger has a uh, has a great round, and and I'll be watching. Um, you know, when this the time the show's released, I will be glued to my phone or computer or TV screen. Yeah, and, and you know, we spent most of this time talking Tiger and Phil, and Tiger and Phil obviously are what draws the ratings and such. But even then, like 
the talent in golf right now is as good as it's ever been. And I don't know about you, Tom, but these majors, even when Tiger and Phil aren't playing, I'm still watching these guys. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, controversy himself, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, you know, um, the bad boy of golf right now. And, you know, love him or hate him, he's certainly entertaining, you know, and, and uh, I'm, I'm amazed that he hasn't gotten much attention this weekend, but, you know, he's always, a, you know, certainly a story and such, you know, ratings are good when it doesn't involve, involve Tiger or Phil, but they're great when it involves Tiger and Phil. And so uh, that to me is, you know, one of the, one of the stories here, as much as we talk about those guys, this, I would argue that the sport of golf is in as good a hands as it's ever been. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of new up and comers. I mean, you know, I remember when, when Rory first came on the scene and, and that was kind of big. And then, you know, we had Jordan Spieth come on the scene and that was big. Now, Jones, there's so many new names. There's so many new players um, that, that have a shot that, you know, add to the storylines of golf. And I, I think it's, it's, I mean, compared to what it was 10 years ago, it's, it's insane how much it's grown. Yeah, it is. Uh, more on the Masters as well as Kansas's national championship when Nick Cousin joins us coming up in just a few moments from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as well as our Tom Fullery story of the week. Also going to talk some NBA as well. All that more as we roll on. Stay with us here at the Jones. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is Nick Cousin from KVRR in Fargo, North Dakota, a fellow alumnus of the University of Kansas and one of my best friends on the planet. And we have so much to talk about with uh, Nicky Cuz on today's show as the Kansas Jayhawks are the national champions of college basketball, Masters coming up this weekend, and who else? could be in store. We'll have to find out and see uh, as uh, Nick joins us right now. Nick, appreciate you stopping by and hanging out on the show this week. Uh, I imagine, uh, like me, you're a pretty happy camper right now. When you call, when you come calling, I'll, I'm always there. I'm the <laughs> <laughs> always. But, yeah, I mean, you got to be ecstatic. I mean, we had the chance to see it in, in 2018. Didn't happen. But, hey, it happened four years later beating the same team to get to the championship game and then end up winning it all. So we got, we have to be excited. We've had now two in our lifetime that we've seen. So that's always great too. And I'm sure there's more to come. Oh yeah. Uh, Nick, I don't know about you, but on Monday night, I'll be honest. I didn't even look at my bar tab. It was one of those, like, I don't care. This is too good. I'm not going to let any of that ruin tonight. I got to enjoy tonight as much as possible. Oh, I mean, if you add up my other one from the Final Four game. Right, right. Saturday, Me too. Yeah, I don't know how much. I don't I don't even think I want to look at that either. <laughs> but, uh, it, would, it would definitely, uh, I would definitely have to. I wouldn't regret it, though. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. So tell me about what you did. How did you take in the games on Saturday and Monday night? What was it like in Nick Cousins' world? Well, I went to the local establishment, my favorite local establishment. Uh, Southtown Poor House. It's it's a place, you know, in North Dakota, you haven't experienced this, but they serve these beers that are like this big. And I had a couple, a few of those. Um, and I enjoyed the game there. They had, they had a big 
big screen TV right at the bar there. And I was attentively watching and actually my coworker, uh, Brandon's from North Carolina and he's a big Tar Heel fan. So he was wearing his North Carolina Jersey. I was wearing my Kansas Jersey made a nice little friendly wager as well that the loser has to wear the other's Jersey on our sports show Friday. So I knew that was a safe bet for me because I was that confident. Yeah, that's that's a good bet. You know, um, it's better than these these bets I see between governors of betting like barbecue or anything like that. Now, PFT commenter had a good idea, but I don't think you could have pulled it off. He suggested, why don't we bet that the winner gets to have uh, Roy Williams's body buried in their state? But I, I don't think you had that type of sway to, to pull that one off. Well, Bill Self, he, he, his body should get buried in Kansas, even though he's from Oklahoma. <laughs> even as, a, as an Oklahoman, I would not object to that. Um, that. That's fine with me. So beer, that's a bold strategy. I went – now, when you come here to Texas, because you'll come visit me eventually, I'm sure, um, we got to get you on the ranch water train. That's what I did to get me through those two nights. Ranch water, which is like a tequila – and uh, that that topo stuff, whatever it is, the, uh, uh, the the sparkling water or whatever mixed together, uh, that was good. That's what got me through with a, with a little pepper and such. Uh, that's how I got through the two nights myself. Oh, I, I did a bad thing on Saturday, mixing beer and hard alcohol because, you, you know, that's the golden rule. You can't do that. But I was like, hey, you know, beer before is- liquor, never been yeah. sicker. Yeah. Liquor yeah. before beer, you're in the clear. And let's just say I only remember the KU game. After that, I couldn't tell you what happened that week. But you know what? To me, that's just a sign of how well Kansas was playing, that you just threw all the rules out the window. That is a result of Kansas blowing out Villanova. How great is it? (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's a result of that night that was robbed from us of our trip to San Antonio getting shortened four years ago by Villanova kicking Kansas' ass that day. And not only that, not I wish we wish we'd have to drive back the next day. On Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. I mean, how cruel punishment is that? Okay. Um, I doubt he's listening right now, so I'm going to go ahead and say him by name. But our, uh, our news director in college, uh, Chad Curtis, nice guy. I like Chad. He's very good at his job. But – that was about I, – I still remember it exactly. The worst text message I've ever received in my life after KU lost to Villanova, immediately he texts us and says, all right, boys, I need you on the road tomorrow. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But we, but we made the most out of it because then we just went for the river walk that night and had ourselves a good time. Yeah, I went to the Alamo. Uh, that river walk is not a river. Barkley's right. That's a creek. It's a dirty creek. But – well, Bar- Barkley was dancing around after he picked Kansas, so you know I can't go wrong with what Barkley says. Yeah, that was a good trip. Uh, you lost your Whataburger virginity that trip. And you were talking about this ranch water thing. I mean, you turned me on to Whataburger, so I'm sure I'll get turned on to that if you show me what that is. <laughs> I'll get you on. Have you ever had tahini? No. Okay, it's like this spicy Mexican seasoning that people use around here, like as an alternative for like pepper or salt. And they put that on the rim of like every alcoholic drink around here. And on the, 
on the ranch water or a margarita, game changer. I'll have to try that. <laughs> if, it keeps, so, if, it, if it keeps you going, it, it will keep me going. Oh, it, it got me going through a national championship. So I think that tells you all you need to know there. So, Nick, uh, watching this team from afar and such, what stood out to you? What did you like about this Bill Self team? It was so unique because it wasn't like other Bill Self teams of the past with five-star recruits all over the place. These guys were guys that either came in through the portal or homegrown in the you know Kansas City area and such here. And Bill Self put this makeshift roster together and turned out to be one of his best coaching jobs, maybe his best coaching job of his career. A hundred percent. But, you know, it's it's one of those typical teams that usually wins a, a national championship, a veteran team, good guard play. I mean, you look at what Ochai Abaji did all season. He had a good game against Villanova, but, I mean, really, without Remy Martin, KU is not even in the championship game. I mean, he came in the clutch and in the championship game made some big threes uh, that got that run going, cutting, cutting it down from 16 at the half. And then Dave McCormick, like inconsistent all year. And then the tournament really steps up, makes some big shots, draws a lot of fouls down low. And like every, everybody made their contribution in the championship game. You know, even KJ Adams came in for a little bit and Mitch Light felt like his contribution was the four fouls he made, but it helped, you know, <laughs> but it helped McCormick, you know, like, cause he was out of the game for a significant amount of time and he didn't have to foul out. And then he makes the big clutch shot at the end. Right. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point uh, there. And Remy Martin, for me, Nick, he, you know, you go back to 2018, he played like the the Malik Newman role of some sorts. Their seasons were, it feels like, almost identical of sorts. Well, and now you can put the Bobby Hurley era aside in Arizona State because he came in, beat, beat us back. I don't even know when that was. But it was 93. Not Yeah, yeah. So – you know, you get that, he gets that revenge, and now he actually, Remy Martin wins a title on a basketball team because Arizona State, not a basketball team. Right. Yeah, th- th- that's great. That's a great point. Uh, we're joined by Nick Cousin, KBR, and Fargo as we're talking about the Kansas Jayhawks National Championship. We'll have some Masters breakdown here in uh, just a few moments as well. Nick, uh, when you look at this, this Kansas Championship team and – Bill Self getting this second title. I feel like this was all about Bill, wasn't it? I mean, you know, with his dad dying a couple months ago, him looking for that second title for for such a long time, the 2020 team that should have been the number one overall seed and would have been the favorites entering the tournament. To me, this one was, was about getting it done for Bill. I'm happy that Bill got this championship this year. Don't worry about the mule. Load the wagon. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, when you have something like that, you know, when you, when your father dies, you know, something like that, someone who had a huge part in your life, I mean, Bill Self wouldn't be in coaching without his dad in the first place. You know, you have something to play for and you have somebody to, you know, dedicate the season to, and just, you know, it's, it's always that extra motivation, like not just wanting to win a championship, but Hey, we're also playing for somebody. And then the embrace with his family after the game, you know, you can't, can't not shed a tear seeing that he goes right to his family after the game, hugs his wife, hugs his mom. You know, you can't, you can't not be emotional in that moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right about that, Nick. Uh, it, it, it was cool for Bill and, and, and 
throughout what all this program's been through of uh, the the NCAA investigation and everything, and you know we we see Will Wade is gone, and uh, you know a number of coaches that have been in and out, and here is Bill Self that he's took this thing hat on, and he's the last man standing here. I mean, uh, the resilience of this guy you can't say it enough, and the fact that you have limited recruiting that you can have over these last couple of years, you can't bring in a lot of those four, four or five star players. And the fact that, you know, he, instead he goes to the portal, he brings in somebody like Remy Martin. And I uh, can't remember his, the name from Jake, uh, Drake. Yes. I mean, those, those, oh, they all play key roles in the regular season they get here. So, you know, you can't, you limit Bill self. He finds a way to get the job done either way. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're talking to Nick cousin at KVRR here at the Jones sport this week. Uh, Nick, uh, Mitch Lightfoot, he was around even longer than Perry Ellis, it seemed. You know, he actually was. Uh, and he, there was an April Fool's joke that he was coming back for his seventh year. Yeah. You and I, we, we knew him when we were in school. Uh, he was there when we were in school, and he uh, he comes away with the title. Uh, Mitch Lightfoot, that's uh, that's a guy that's, that's certainly earned it. I was I was happy for Mitch. Uh, what what a, a ride. I know that he, he didn't start a whole lot of games, and his impact you won't see in the stat book, but – that's a guy that I think Kansas fans are going to love for a long time. I like what he said after after the win. He said, you stick around long enough, you're bound to win one of these. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Um, now, the, the the other part of this of seeing what, what, what amazed me, Nick, is that, you know, Coach K retires and you know, UNC knocks him out and, that game had even bigger ratings than the KU North Carolina National Championship game. And St. Peter's makes their run as a 15 seed and, and uh, you know, gets all the way to the Elite Eight. You know, I, I didn't even know that St. Peter's was a school before this NCAA tournament. You know, I, I knew about, you know, St. Peter that, you know, denied Christ, you know, three times, you know, but I didn't know anything about a basketball team. And here was this Kansas bunch – and they're probably the third biggest story after winning the national title. But I would I would bet that Bill Self and company is okay with that. That that uh, that uh, they they enjoyed kind of being under the radar despite being a number one seed. I mean, when you're the only number one seed left in the final four, I mean, you can be disrespected all you want, but you have to prove you're the best team remaining when you are the best team remaining, and they they did just that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even say Nick that they were disrespected but kind of just forgotten about but you know bill is not one that he, he he's in an attention seeker of any sorts uh and that's what i love about bill like he's so calm like even with the media like he's willing to answer every question he always takes time out of his day to you know say hello sign autographs take pictures and i remember back in the day like uh before covid like for his for his press conferences weekly he'd bring food in and he'd sit with the media and chat everybody up. That's just the kind of guy he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would tell us all sorts of stuff off the record. And, yeah, it was great. Uh, I've never had a, any other coach uh, have lunch with the media regularly like uh, like Bill uh, in those days. That was a, a really special time. And even if they brought us pizza every single week uh, for there for a while, it was still worth my time. Oh, I ate a lot of Chipotle and a lot of pizza during that time. Yes, yes. And a lot of like pan pizza from Pizza Hut, like not even thin crust. Or that, or there was a, that that Italian place that they brought pasta from. 
Oh, yes. Um, yes, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember yes. the name off the top of my yes. head, but yes, uh, there, there was an Italian place in Lawrence and event, sometimes there was high V and such, but mostly uh, pizza and Chipotle was uh, on the menu for uh, lunch with a uh, Bill Self. Those were uh, some good old days there. So tell me this uh, before we, we talk about other things here. When Monday night, it's halftime, Kansas is down 40 to 25. What were you saying to yourself? Were you convinced it was over, or did you think they were going to come back and make that run? Well, who's – let me ask you a question. Who's the master of the second half? Uh, that would be uh, Bill Self, yes. So that's what I told myself. I said, you know, you can't count them out. There's another half to play. You know, North Carolina had a, a bunch of players uh, injured in that game, playing injured. Uh, you know, Armando Baycott being one of them, and you could tell he was, you know, limping the whole game. So eventually, you know, and they kept going to him all the time. So eventually, you know, North Carolina wore down and Kansas came back and Bill Self, you know, he didn't have to really, he said he didn't have to say much at the half. He just said, you know, would you rather be down nine with three minutes left or be where you're at right now? And so, and he took from experience from because that's what the deficit was the last time. Uh, they won in 08. So, you know, just, you know, kudos, kudos, kudos to the man Bill Self. So both of us, we had to stay home. We didn't get to travel for the uh, the final. If, if you I had travel, I would be sleeping on the street outside the Superdome probably and sitting in nosebleeds. So would you have rather been in Lawrence where it was just nuts on Mass Street and everything or rather been at the championship itself? Uh, well, I would, I, after seeing Bourbon Street, I think I would I probably want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Bourbon Street would have been fun. Because uh, like I I had a friend down there and he told me there was like a KU bar and uh on Bourbon Street. And after after we won on on Monday, all the players came. Really? And it was like a big party. So it's like they're back at the hawk again. Exactly. So I'd rather be partying there with them than partying with you know, random strangers that are all, you know, Jayhawks, but like, you can be like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Oh, Chai, you know, in the bar. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't know about that. That's a nice, uh, nice scoop there. Scoop uh, city from uh, inside information. (laughs) Inside sources. I like that. I think I would have rather been at the game in new Orleans uh, because I've partied in Lawrence a number of times. Yeah, exactly. We have our memories there. You have to create new memories. Right, right. Um, but either way, would it would have been a good time uh, at either place. I did though. I was at this KU bar in Dallas, and it felt like I was back at the wheel again. Like it had a vibe, very much like the wheel. Everyone was all in their their KU blue and got loud throughout the entire game. Um, the second half, when KU was down fifteen and they hit that jumper to you know get the run started, place went nuts. Um, this place, Nick, even had pizza, just like the wheel. Somebody from the wheel moved down to Dallas and said, hey, we're doing this here. Right. Uh, wheel pizza, especially at like 2 o'clock in the morning, just hits different than any other food I've had in my life. Any late night food, even like fuzzies, like that, that always hit great too. Like just Lawrence elite, elite late night food. We need to like – Reemerge back in Lawrence uh, uh, for a weekend and just relive our 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 college days again. Hey, I'm 100 percent down. Just let me know when. 
Okay, Nick, let's uh, let's move on, Tuck Masters. Uh, you're a big golf guy. Uh, let's we, we got to start out with Tiger, obviously, right? Uh, Tiger is going to play. Um, first time we've seen him in 14 months, coming back from the uh, car accident. Uh, Nick, uh, no matter the result this weekend, this is a win for Tiger, right? Just to be able to be back, back here like this, quite the story. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about 14 months ago, the guy almost died. I mean, and the the doctor said he would walk again, but I mean, he who knew it was going to be this soon? And, you know, he goes down a couple of weeks back with his son to play a practice round. And then even he, he had practice rounds this week with Fred Couples. And Fred Couples is saying like, hey, like he's, he's driving it. He, he's crushing the ball. Like he's going to, you know, he's going to play. And, you know, when you're a, a master's champion, you can play however you can play however many times until you turn 65. So unless he decides he doesn't want to play last minute, he's teeing off tomorrow. That's going to be great. I'm excited for him. Uh, the ratings are now going to go up for ESPN and CBS. So good for them. The ESPN plus subscribers are about to see a nice jump this weekend. I'm sure ESPN's very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. Um, with that said, as you know, we both love Tiger. You know, we're Tiger fans, but th- there's no way he wins this weekend, right? The chance is pretty slim. Yeah, I mean, you can never count him out, but just with what he's gone through, I don't think you can say he wins. But I will say, like, uh, there, I would bet that he makes a cut, maybe. If you put it, okay, that's one of the bets that I'm looking at. If you had to bet straight up he makes the cut or not, what way are you leaning towards? I would say he makes the cut. Okay. Okay, I would like to say it. You know, it it is the easiest cut to make of all the majors, limited field, and you got a bunch of old guys and amateurs that don't belong out there. And it's the one tournament a year they play the same course. Tiger's won there multiple times. He knows the course. And like you even see, you know, some of the longtime players like Bernard Longer. He's 64. He's made the cut like six of the last nine times. Nice. If you, if you if exactly if you if you know the course well, like you, you can't count yourself out. Okay. Okay. Um, Phil Mickelson not going to be involved in the uh, the Masters. Controversial. Have, Controversial. Yeah. So the Masters say that they didn't ban him, that he was not suspended of any sorts. But, I mean, to me, it's just it's ridiculous. I want to see Phil out there. I don't care about this stuff in Saudi Arabia, Arabia and this, this golf league that he was looking at and such. I mean, he's lost some sponsors and all that. Hadn't he suffered enough? I mean, they, the other thing, too. Wouldn't it have been better for him to go ahead and come back this week with Tiger suffocating all the attention anyway? I mean, but you know how the Masters is. They're, like, set back in, like, the 1900s. Like, they, you know, you can't you can't have a cell phone on the course. You can't, can't do this, can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, I, you know, the Masters, I mean, would be a great place to come back, but they're just so old school and, like, their ways and, you know, kind of, too caught up in the classiness of it all for Phil to come back. And they don't want to have that controversy. Like imagine if Phil did come back, like how much the master's committee would have to answer questions. And they don't want that this week. So you think that really the masters push Phil away? I think like the PGA and the masters kind of came to an agreement. Like it's a air quote suspension. And, but really Phil's just like is kindly, taking time away to like let it all set 
and then he comes back eventually. Now, you know, I want to see, selfishly speaking, um, I'm going to the PGA in my hometown in Tulsa next next May, and I think Tiger is going to be playing. You know, if he's playing this weekend, I would think that he'll play in May. Um, Phil's got to be back to defend that title, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, of, of the four majors, that's kind of the, you know, the lesser one. So maybe, you know, that's a good opportunity for him to come back if he's not already back. And you have to, like, he's the defending champion. Like, there's no way he, he doesn't come back for that. Okay, okay. Uh, who are some names uh, that you're looking at this weekend? I, I think there's, you know, on any given weekend on the PGA Tour, Nick, there's about 30 guys that can win at least. The Masters, I would say there's probably no more than 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, J- Justin Thomas is a good pick. I mean, it's not really about bombing the ball. Like, if you look at, like, a Brooks Koepka or a Dustin Johnson who can really power the ball, it's more of the short game and the putting. And Justin Thomas, one of the best putters, he leads the PGA Tour in greens and regulation. Doesn't have any wins this year yet on tour, but has a bunch of top tens. And then, of course, you can't count out, count out Jordan Spieth, who's won it twice, one of the best putters that probably ever lived. And, uh, you know, you can't count him out either. So I think those two are, are good bets, uh, you know, going into it. Yeah. Uh, Brooks Kepka, he's won all these majors, but he hasn't won the Masters. And uh, a lot of it's been bad timing. He's been hurt a lot when uh, it's been Masters time. Uh, is this the time he finally completes the, uh, the sweep of all the majors here? Well, he certainly has the experience. He's not one to, you know, foil under pressure. But when it comes to Sunday on the back nine, you never know what's going to happen. You look at Rory McIlroy, like he was going for the, he was going for the Grand Slam in 2015. And on the back nine, he just collapsed. You see it a bunch of times. Like sometimes it even goes to a playoff because somebody in the last group collapses. So it's all about, you know, getting, making the cut, getting to that back nine and then really dialing in, especially at Amen corner. Cause you never know what's going to happen uh, in, at, in those three holes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great point. Nick cousin, KBRR joining us here on the Jones report this week. John Rahm is a guy, Nick, that has done really well at the masters over the years. I, f- I feel like your best bet, if you need to make any bet is him to finish top 10 as he's just been a machine getting these top five finishes, but he hasn't been able to quite close the deal and get that first green jacket yet. And I think you winning the U S open was a big breakthrough for him. I mean, he was knocking and knocking on the door and finally was able to get one. I think that builds a lot of confidence and also somebody that's won a major recently, the, the last major, the open champion, Colin Morikawa. I mean, he's only 25 years old, wins he's already won two majors i think he's a good good bet for this week as well okay now as far as uh, it goes with rom he's not playing great golf right now you know not off to a great start to the season a guy like brooks kepka has played a lot better the last couple weeks and such do you think momentum how you've played lately does that matter a whole lot going into the masters how you've done at other courses or is everything out the window based on just this week alone? I think it helps, but as Augusta National gets harder and harder every day, the way it's set up, I really think experience plays a factor. The more you've played it, the more 
you'll get used to it. It becomes that much harder. So you really have to know the greens, know where the ball's going to come. Um, you know, iron plays big. Somebody, you know, any player that's really good with their irons, I wouldn't count them out. I just think because such a reoccurring, uh, the same course every year, the, the tradition behind it, and with how many times multi, uh, one player has won it multiple times just because of how used they are to the course, I think it helps a little bit to come in with some momentum, but really it's the experience of playing the course uh, multiple times. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think it's a great point. Now, uh, who are some other names off the radar? We still haven't even talked about Victor Hovland yet. He's going to be one of the favorites, but – That's your uh, guy. Yeah, he is. I like Victor. Uh, I, I think Victor finishes top three. He's not my pick. My pick is Brooks. I'm riding with Brooks okay. this weekend. Okay. Um, my top three, give, give me your top three. I'm going with Brooks one, John Rom two, Victor Hovland three. Who's your top three? I'll go JT, Justin Thomas one, uh, Spieth two, because he, he's come back with his game one, one in the last year on the PGA Tour after kind of being off uh, for a couple of years. And then three, I'll go Morikawa. But a sleeper four is my favorite guy on tour, Willis Alturis. Okay, tell me, tell me about him. Why, why do you think he's going to do well? Well, he's young, and he's had a lot of experience um, doing well in majors as of late. He hasn't won the PGA Tour yet, but he's been on a bunch of leaderboards, and he, was, he, he even was a leader in the Masters last year. Um, in days one and two, he was on top of the leaderboard. So I think he comes in with a lot of confidence and he's a young guy and he's very luckable on tour. He's one of those, you know, he's been on Barstool and, you know, Pat McAfee shows. So how can you not like him if he's doing those shows? That's true. That's a good point. Um, who I really want to see, the, the, the class of the field this weekend is going to be Paulina, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess Ann Brooks Kepka's uh, wife too. Uh, Jenna, yeah. Oh, Jenna, yeah. Is uh is is Paige uh, Sporadic gonna be out there? <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure she'll post it. Right, uh, Katie Kearney. I mean, what's with all these women in golf, man? I don't know. <laughs> it's a different sport. Yeah, I, really, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, I'll, I'll keep it. Uh, I'll keep it at that at that point. Uh, Nick, before we uh, let you go here, as we're uh, kind of wrapping up, what's uh, what's going on these days in uh, in Fargo with you uh, now that? You have uh, a KU national championship uh, off your back and such. Uh, what's the, what's the day job look like up north these days? Well, it's your typical North Dakota April. It's snowing outside, so there's that. Um, and also, the winds are like forty miles per hour right now. So that's, that's snow. All. What's yeah. snow? I forgot her. I don't remember her. Yeah, yeah. It was like ninety five this week <laughs> here in Dallas, Nick. Yeah, I'm sure you missed that. And there's supposed to be uh, baseball and softball starting up this week. So we'll see if that even happens at this point. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, have fun with uh, Tony La Russa again. I think, the, you know, can't count out the White Sox. When people are trying to make moves now to compete compete with the Sox in the division, the Twins signing Correa, you know, and the Guardians. Uh, now the Guardians, you know, in Cleveland uh, extended Jose Ramirez, their best player. So, Trying to compete, you know, with the, the top dogs in the Central. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, hopefully you get out, enjoy some games at your favorite stadium, uh, guaranteed rate field. Yeah, when I come back uh, in the summer, I have to go to two weddings in June. I'm sure I'll get a game. <laughs> I already looked it up. Uh, they play the Dodgers while I'm home. And uh, also uh, in three weeks down in uh, Minneapolis, 
the Sox are in town. So I might go freeze my butt off down there to watch. <laughs> Nick, where can people find you and follow all the stuff you're doing, man? Oh uh, yeah. Social media, really easy. It's the same for, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram and cuz and C O U Z. And then uh, my Facebook, just my name. Uh, so it's yeah, super easy. And, you know, I post all my stuff on there and get my, you know, my great hot takes and opinions as well. Nick, it is always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. It flew by. Uh, we we should have got uh, Zach Fisher on with us or, you know, Jose and everybody. Get the whole gang back together, you know. There's not enough time for that. <laughs> You're probably right. Probably right. Nick, uh, thanks for stopping by, man. We'll uh, talk in soon. Uh, National champs. Soak it all in, bud. Rock chop. Jayhawk. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OHGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, Brian.O'Connor at LPL.com. That's Brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at LPL.com. You can check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on all major podcast platforms, and Bo joins us right now from beautiful Lawrence, Kansas, the home of the 2021 through 2022 national champion Kansas Jayhawks. Bo, set the scene for us. How are things in Titletown? Everyone's been pretty – it's been a pretty joyous few days here in Lawrence. It's been kind of nice. Uh, you know, we, we, everybody in the world seemed to be here on uh, on Monday night, and – Weekend was great. Everyone's having a good time. No major injuries or incidents. It was almost one, but we'll talk about that off the air. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was uh, no major issues, and, the, and everybody's really happy. I love that we had everyone runs down the Mass Street and has a great time with stuff, but everyone got along, and that was really cool. Yeah, there certainly sounds that way, and and Bo, uh, this Kansas team, I know that that you bought into them pretty quick, and and you've got to know these guys. And yeah. your your wife works for the university and such. So uh, tell me about that. What what'd you make of just what they pulled off uh, getting yeah. it done this weekend? Well, I think the most impressive part of the Jayhawks was that they got better through the season, and they really got hot in the end. You know, really from the back end, tippy tip of the back end of the Big Twelve schedule through the Big 12 tournament and through the NCAA, they were the hottest team. I would argue that them and North Carolina were the two hottest teams coming into the tournament. And um, I thought it was a great matchup. It was a great game. I mean, even though you had the big early push by Carolina and KU made that big comeback, it was fantastic. Um, I've had some interaction with probably seven or eight of these players. I liked all of them. I know a couple of a couple of guys on the coaching staff really well and, of course, uh, Coach Coach Quarterbond's friend of the show on the Coach Bono's podcast. We love Coach Q. And uh, I just hit him a little text saying, hey, do you know your ring size? And Kenny back just said, yep. So uh, I'm happy for those guys. Everyone I know around that Jayhawk program is good people. And I like it when good people are successful. And that's that's what I'm most happy for. That's awesome. Bo, uh, I'm certainly uh, happy for, for us, for uh, national champions. But uh, we got plenty of – Football to discuss on uh, today's football fix with you. And where I want to start is uh, another trade in what has been the most interesting offseason ever in the National Football League. And we haven't even gotten to the draft yet. 
And we already have a trade involving the Saints and the Eagles, just draft picks, no players. And for me, this was so odd because this is typically a trade you see draft night, day before the draft. Kind of odd timing, but it signals, I think, two things. Saints in the quarterback market, the Eagles in the quarterback market potentially next year. They're giving Jalen Hurts the go-ahead saying, it's your time now, brother. Yeah, I, I when I look at that, I'm a Saints fan, as you know, and when I saw the trade and they're moving and getting an extra first-round pick, giving up one next year, all I could think of was this is to be nimble on draft day. This is going to give them an extra couple extra bullets in the gun to try to be nimble to see if they can get possibly a Kenny Pickett. Uh, I think who's, he's who the Saints want is their future quarterback. Uh, I've seen a couple of mock drafts. We just talked, I, you know, Todd McShay's got him going in the top 10, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. But if he's going to go that high, I think you can see the Saints package their two picks now, plus something, try to jump ahead of Carolina and pick him. Um, that's what that thing meant to me. Uh, they do have a couple of pieces they have to address. They lost Taron Armstead at left tackle. Um, I can see them going and getting a left tackle. I think the last mock draft I looked at had them looking at uh, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, who I saw the tape from Senior Bowl on. He looked incredible. Um, I think he's, a, he's one of the top tackles in this draft. I can see that, but I don't think you trade up to pre-draft to do that. I think this is a draft of, a trade for them to have a couple more things they can do on draft day. I think we're going to see a boatload of trades on draft day. Well, and as far as losing a pick next year goes, everyone seems pretty certain that Sean Payton is going to be back next year with another team. Yeah. And the way that the thing is structured, you're going to have to give up compensation still if you want Sean Payton to be your head coach next year. Yeah, I think the Saints are thinking that. And I think the Saints are saying we're going to have to try to do something now. I think the Saints are in that weird spot where they're just good enough. They can compete, but they've got to get a little bit better to be a Super Bowl contender. But they've also got to think about they don't have a franchise quarterback. I mean, maybe it's Jameis Winston, but right now I think even they want to hedge their bets on that. Yeah. Um, Receivers have been such a big talk of this offseason on whether to extend or to trade. And we saw the the Chiefs make their decision with Tyreek Hill, sending him out to Miami and Miami giving him that deal. I think what really pushed the market was when Christian Kirk, out of just straight hell – came up with 20 plus million dollars that he didn't deserve. And that kind of just crashed the entire, entire market. Now, Stefan Diggs gets the extension and he's going to be in Buffalo for a long time. This one seems to be pretty obvious though. Uh, you look at what Diggs has done for Buffalo and how that offense operates and what it does for Josh Allen. And knowing that it was just a couple of years ago, their offense wasn't worth anything. This was an easy call. I think they had to do this move. Yeah, I think that the wide receiver thing has been kind of interesting. I think that Buffalo definitely had to make this decision. Um, I mean, it's the kind of a no-brainer. Go ahead and get him locked up. Get him. They're getting him right at what the cost is for number one receiver. We've already seen – we saw Tyreek Hill. We saw Devontae Adams. We saw now um, Stephon Diggs. You know, they all got extensions, you know, in their contracts. I mean, you know, you know Devontae got a new contract after being franchise tagged and then the trade and – 
uh, Tyreek Hill's trace the case, but then an extension. $30 million is what's going to cost you now for a number one guy. And that's the, the going rate now, that 28 to 30 million. And um, this draft also has, I think I saw in the last knock seven wide receivers in, that are graded in the top in the as, as first round picks. Yeah, that's scoring Todd and, McShay. Yeah. And and there's seven of them that I like six. I like six of them. One I don't know very well. Um, there's one I think right now is better than all of them now. There's one that when he's healthy, I think is better than all of them. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I already have my eyes on Jamison Williams. Yeah, that's the one. If he's the one that when the ACL is healthy, Jamison Williams is the guy that every team in this draft is going to want. If he's healthy, he's probably the top player on the draft board. I'm not saying he'd be the first overall pick. I'm saying he's the top guy on many best player availables. Because he is a phenomenal player. He just he got hurt there at the end of the season. You're not going to have him most of his rookie year. No one's going to replace Tyreek Hill, but take a team like the Chiefs. If if he can be 100% healthy and you got him on the rookie contract, that can make things hurt a little bit less for uh, yeah. Patrick Mahomes and company if he's that yeah. good. And, and the, the other one I really like is Drake London from USC. Yes. I, I think Drake London right now is the best of all of them. Uh, he's the one that if I could take one for right now, plug him into a great situation, he could be – he could play on any team in the NFL today. And he never played with a great quarterback at SC. No, I watched him play in person at the USC Notre Dame game this year, and he was by far the best football player on the field. It was so bad in that game. First off, the DBs at Notre Dame, that was a really good defensive backs team they had there, and they knew – that Drake London was going to line up to the left wide, and they knew that he was getting the ball thrown to him. And he got like 20 catches in that game. And every time he caught the ball, it was 15 or more yards. It was ridiculous. You just couldn't stop it. Um, he's going to be a fantastic player as well. I think those were one and one A. I think that Jamison Williams falls just because of the injury issue. But I mean, Drake London's ready day one. Now, whoever takes. As far as a couple of guys still in talks, DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, yeah. both teams have said they plan to extend those guys. But with every passing day, the trade talks are only going to get louder until an extension is done. So, with that being said, and both of them are entering the final years of their rookie deal, Bo, I would think. You know, these are two franchise guys. These are cornerstone receivers that you can build your team around for a long time. Uh, uh, how, how would you not keep these two guys? To me, it doesn't make sense. We heard rumblings that the, the Seahawks hung up the phone on the Jets when the Jets came calling with their number 10 pick back, and the, 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 the Titans have made it clear they're not interested in, in trading A.J., but um, – you know, you go back to the Seahawks, for example, we heard for the longest time they said, we're not interested in trading Russell Wilson until all of a sudden Russell Wilson was not a member of the Seahawks. Well, I think the biggest thing we're going to see is you're going to have to extend them before the season. You're going to have to send them before the draft. Look, it, it's get off the pot time, as we say in the South. You're going, yes. to have to either, you're going to have to do one or the other. If they don't extend the player, the player's he, he never gets off the pot. That's another story. Yeah, yeah well. And I know my man Tom Bridges doesn't get off the pot very often either. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, but I, I think if you don't, um, 
if you don't with those two with those two players in particular, especially with Metcalf, look, you either got to extend them now or they're gone. I mean, you just no one's going to want to play, you know, in a lame duck situation. They're going to get out there and play and finish the season. And it doesn't make it doesn't put you in a good situation to get that player to come back as a free agent if you don't at least work on that extension now. So I, yeah, I think you have to make that deal. That, but it also ends up becoming like a Tyreek Hill situation. You don't get the extension done, but now you get something for him and do it now while he's got some, some value. Because in a few months, he doesn't have any value, especially after this draft. This draft, a lot of suitors that would have given you something for one of those two players may not be able to do it. Right. You're at the mercy of a team who maybe has an injury or something like that, you're going to get a whole lot less. So if I'm Tennessee with A.J. Brown, if I'm Seattle with D.K. Metcalf, the extensions have got to get done. And if not, if they're just coming to an impasse and they say, hey, we're not willing to pay $30 million to you guys, I think D.K. Metcalf is definitely deserving. A.J. Brown's played a little bit. He played the next level down. He'll be 25 to $28 million. I can see him in that area. But you don't pay those guys. They're not staying, and you're telling them. I mean, you're just going to have to get rid of them. You're going to have to get something back in return. And as far as the Jets offering the number 10 overall pick for D.K. Metcalf, that's not enough. No. I think that they did D.K. Metcalf. I see, let's say they, the, the Seahawks, did D.K. Metcalf a solid not trading him to the Jets as well. So, And maybe you go into negotiations like, hey, dude, we're not going to trade you to the Jets. We either get this extension done or we're going to have to trade you, but not to the Jets. You know, it is funny to me that the Jets tried on Tyreek Hill. Now they're trying on DK. And the Jets are just going to jet. Like, I would, even though it's clear they're in the wide receiver market, I would still be shocked if they're able to pull off a trade and bring in one of these receivers because they find new ways to screw things up all the time. Yeah, their credit score is not good. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like going in for a loan with a credit score. Yeah, they're like the JD by Ryder of of, of bringing players on. The Um, Jets are going to end up, uh, they're going to have to go to Cricket or uh, Boost Mobile to go find a wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, they're going to pay loan. Yeah, they're going to pay their loan. I like that. Whoever the Jets draft, so they're like, they're sitting at number four. If they're sitting at four and they, they draft a player, like, I feel so sorry for whoever receiver it is. I hope it's not Drake London. I really like that kid. You know, I saw a McShay's uh, mock draft. He's got Garrett Garrett Wilson from Ohio State going there. Great receiver, by the way. What's that? Great receiver. Great receiver. I don't think he's as good as Drake London, but I'm biased on that. I mean, I saw Drake London in person. I just was amazed at what I saw. I haven't seen Garrett Wilson in person. But this is telling you how kind of quality we've got. We've got four or five guys in this draft that are phenomenal. But whoever goes to the Jets, you're not going to have a good quarterback. And do you really trust the Jets as an organization to make the good decision? That's right. I mean, that's the other thing. They just, these are the kind of guys that screw up a cup of coffee. I mean, it's just <laughs> hard. More likely to get traded. Is it Metcalf or Brown? Hmm. I don't know. My gut tells me it's Brown. Okay. And I think purely based upon They'll probably ask for more money than he's probably worth. DK Metcalf, you got to pay. I mean, that's there's not a team in the league that wouldn't pay him to be their number one guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, that, that's my thinking. There's teams who would say that Brown maybe isn't their number one, but there's not anybody that wouldn't take DK Metcalf. Um, you know, in the case of, you know, the Chiefs, for example, you know, they've been rumored that they're still shopping for receiver, that they like the Jets are in the receiver market. And if they have to give up a first round pick and whatever, and they can bring in one of these guys like Metcalf or Brown, and they pay them the money similar to what they what Miami ended up paying Tyreek Hill, aren't you essentially, if Kansas City does that, aren't they basically choosing Metcalf or Brown over Tyreek Hill if they make that move? Um, I'm kind of following you, yes, but they're probably netting something positive in the end, too. Okay. I mean, they're probably getting a little more out of it in the end. Um, I don't think the Chiefs are going to be the, the ones going to get DK Metcalf. I think it's going to be too much of a price tag. Yeah, I think so. I think if you've done that, you just want to cap, you just want to cap Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill. Especially I think with, they're going to draft a receiver. I don't think they're going to I think so too. I, I think the Chiefs are going to I think the one we talked about this already is I think the Chiefs are hoping and praying they can get Jamison Williams. Mm-hmm. I think he's the perfect fit there because you don't have to play him day one. He can get in there, you know, and you know, 10 weeks into the season. Yeah. He got hurt in the national championship game. So he's not going to be ready at, at camp. He, he's not going to be ready week one. But if he's ready week before the playoffs, yeah. you got an extra weapon he's playing for. So. Um, let's, uh, let's talk Desmond Ritter now. His yeah. stock appears to be rising. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him as high as nine on some draft boards. I've seen him as low as 40. Uh, but it is on the on the incline anyway. And, you know, I, I went through all the statistics today on Ritter, Bo, and the numbers, I mean, they were good, but they weren't great. His PFF scores, good, not great. But it, it's the story of, you know, hey, he led Cincinnati, the first non-Power 5 to the playoff, the wins – at Notre Dame and, and you know, the, the conference title and all this stuff. I, I get this feeling, Bo, and I have this theory that the reason we're seeing Ritter go up these boards, not only because the demand on quarterbacks is always going to be high, but I, I have a feeling that the owners and the scouts are starting to fall in love more with the story and the leadership of Ritter as opposed yeah. to what the actual numbers and statistics say. And not to mention, he did so against mostly piss-poor competition. Yeah. I, I think he's a good story. I think he can be a decent quarterback. But I'll say this. There's not a quarterback in this league, in this draft, not, not a single one, that I think is a franchise quarterback. I, I personally, the one I like, I like Kenny Pickett best. But I don't think Kenny Pickett is even a franchise guy, certainly not out the gate. And I don't know that any of these guys are worth it. But what's going to happen is teams are going to fall in love with somebody. They're going to move up. These quarterbacks are all going to go too high because they're all going to reach because the one position where if you've got the guy, you've got the guy. And I'm not sure that any of these guys are the guy. This is not like the last few seasons where we've had the one at the top who was by far the best. There's not a single one of these guys. Otherwise, they'd be going first. We right. know how valuable quarterbacks are. I think any of them that go in the top 20 is a reach. If I had to take one, I would take Kenny Pickett. 
I think he's the most ready right now. But even him, I think, needs season. Yeah. I like Matt Corral. Um, I would I, I would say, Bo, prior to the injury, I think Corral's the first quarterback off the board. I, I would agree with that. And I like Matt Corral. The injury hurts. Um, and the fact that he played in a system that's very similar to a pro system in Mississippi. They want to throw the ball around Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin, and, Jeff Levy. Lane, Lane Kiffin, I think it's going to help. Um, but I don't know that even he is skilled enough to be the guy. He can, it's going to be one of those, you know, you and I have the Ryan Tannehill rule. Right. None of these guys to me look like they passed the Ryan Tannehill rule. I think Kenny Pickett and Matt Carell could pass the Ryan Tannehill rule, but I'm not sure that they will. Mm-hmm. Malik Willis is the most athletic of all of them. And there's some things I really like about his game. I don't like the level of competition he's played, playing at Liberty. But some, I think that him going to the Steelers is a good idea. I think that's what every mock draft I've seen has got him doing. Um, you know, going there and sit on the bench for a year or two. I think that's not a bad idea. I just hate seeing wasting a first round pick on that. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's one guy in here I would take though. Let's talk more draft. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, just even a couple of weeks ago was the number one player on most draft boards. And he has fallen down a bit. A lot of teams are citing an ego issue. Kind of all started back on the night of the national championship when he was talking about how much better his Oregon education is compared to an Alabama education. You know, Bo, I hear all that stuff. I'm like, it's all talk. This guy gets it done on the field. And he's incredibly smart. He's got a pretty high IQ. so what? He's he, he runs his mouth a little bit. I mean that that to me is not the end of the day. I, I want my defensive lineman to have some swag and have some ego yeah. too. I don't care about that. I still love Kayvon Thibodeau. I, I would not let that affect the stock on him. But that's just me. I'm not making the decision ultimately. We're not here to play school. Say again, Tom. So we're not here to play school. No, no, no. And, and how many times have we heard? Um, announcers or talking heads on ESPN or FS1 or somewhere saying, Hey, this player has said he was going to make everyone who didn't draft him. Sorry. Right. They didn't draft him. And it's, you know, how many times do we see that Rogers clip about the Niners, about the Niners? Yeah. I mean, how it's, yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit. Um, I think we got these three defensive ends. I think they're all going to go one, two, three, or some combination of such. I like Thibodeau. I like Trayvon Walker. I like Aiden Hutchinson. I like all three. The edge rushers in this class are as good as I've ever seen. Yeah. The one I – I like Trayvon Walker. My question is, did playing in that really good defense with all those defensive players at Georgia where there's so many of them are going to play in the NFL – did that make him look better than he is? Um, but I, I think any of those three guys, the thing that's bad about it is that none of them are going to go to good teams. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. And they're going to get double teamed like crazy. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's Hutchinson, Walker, and Thibodeau. They're all hoping to go to the Lions because you don't want to go to Jacksonville. And you don't want to go to the Texans. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least, I mean, I think that, that Matt Campbell, the coach of the Lions, is a good coach. Dan Campbell. The Dan Campbell's a good coach. And at least they got something going there. Isn't that bad when you're hoping to go to Detroit? Detroit, yeah. Yeah. 
because the other the other two in the top five are the two New York teams. I think about that. Of the top five, if you had to pick one, you'd want to go to Detroit, especially if you're a defensive player. Dan Campbell's a good coach. They're going to be a hard-nosed defensive team. Yeah, that's those three guys, that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping to be number two or number six. Here, here's not my, one through five. Here's my bold take, and maybe it's not even that bold. I think, Bo, there are multiple Hall of Fame edge rushers in this draft. You may be right. Yeah, I mean, I. it's hard to project. It, that position's hard to project a Hall of Famer at. But there are definitely Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl quality players. I mean, okay. Consistent, great 10-year players. Here's what I mean. At the top of this draft. Best example. Go to the second round. Logan Hall. Thank God it's not Logan Paul. Uh, Logan Hall out of Houston. Long guy. Six, seven. Um, most years would be probably a top 20 pick. He's probably going to fall all the way to 45. But that just shows you how much depth there is at the position this draft. Yeah. This is a deep defensive uh, draft and a deep offensive tackle draft. Yes. Which is not going to make for good television. Let's no, see. but it's going to make for safe picks. Yes. It's just not going to be interesting for people who are not football freaks to watch when we draft it. I want to move on to the cornerback position, and we're talking about how good the defensive players are in this draft. And one common question that's popped up in the last couple of days really is, who would you rather have? Ahmad Gardner, known as Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, or Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU. Both terrific players and there's a good chance both these guys go top 12, maybe even top 10 in this draft. Bo, we even heard uh, Sauce Gardner say just a couple of days ago, he thinks he's the best player in this draft. What say you? Which uh, corner do you like better here, and can you go wrong with picking one or the other? I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. I think it comes down to your team. I like both these guys a lot. If I was going to sit here and rank the draft board, just best players, they're both in the top 10. They might both be in the top five. Um, Stingley is a better all-around football player. You could play Stingley in the slot. You could over the slot. You could play him more in zone. And you probably he could play, play him in the slot too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He could be. He could return punts and kicks for you too. Um, and you can play him at safety if you wanted to. Um, Sauce Gardner. I love that nickname. I, I do too. Sauce. I'm just. I'm with that. Um. I mean, he single-handedly kept Cincinnati around against Alabama that sure. Yes, ball. he did. He was phenomenal in that game. Um, I think Sauce Gardner is going to have a long NFL. I think both of them are going to have long NFL careers. And I think he's a better on-ball, on-man-a-man, on-the-ball coverage guy. If I had to go lock down a number one receiver, I'd want Gardner. If I wanted someone I could play on anybody, or if I had to go after a tight end with the corner, I would take Stingley. So, like, if I was playing the Chiefs, I'd love to have Stingley because I could have him over the top of someone like, um, what am I, uh, Kelsey. You know, I think he'd be good at that. But Gardner is a little – I don't think he can he can play a little smaller. Not that he is any smaller. They're about the same size. But he doesn't play as big as Stingley does. Stingley's injury is the big thing. He had that list Frank foot injury. He wasn't well all season. It was a big reason why LSU had a lot of problems this year was that they were really thinking, I mean, this guy was 
one of the guys that was a defensive player going into the season as a Heisman favorite because of what he can do. Um, but he was hurt all season. So I think that's going to hurt him. I think Sauce Gardner is going to go first out of the two. I think both of them are can't miss guys. Um, to, to, to go comparison-wise, I think, you know, if, if you want to give an idea, it's it's like, you know, with, with Sauce Gardner, he's the Jalen Ramsey, the Del, Darrell Revis, your shutdown type. Yeah. And with uh, Stingley, he's your – your Desmond Howard type that can do so many things. Yeah, I think Stingley's game is he could be Tyron Matthew, but playing corner. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to get comparisons to Tyron Matthew. They're both LSU guys, that sort of thing. Um, he's a better cover than Matthew, but he's not going to be able to play up in the box like Matthew. They, mm-hmm. would, they wouldn't ask a corner to do that anymore. But uh, Gardner is your Revis kind of guy. You're going to put him on a number one, and you're going to say, that's your guy the whole game. Go get him. Stingley, you're going to move around the field and match up. Match up against different formations, against different players in different formations, that sort of thing. A little more of a Swiss Army knife there, but a really talented player. Uh, You can't go wrong with either of them. A lot of it's going to depend on what you already have in your defensive backfield. Now, the the last thing, as far as – Here's what I'm curious of. The value of the cornerback position. Look at the Rams last year. They spent money on Ramsey, right? The previous two Super Bowl champs for that, the Bucs and the Chiefs, went cheap at the cornerback position. Not something that was a high priority for those two teams. What is the right answer here? If, if Bo is GM, are you spending high draft capital or are you spending long-term money at the cornerback position? Or is that not a priority? What's the right. right answer? To me, the way I look at it is I rank by position. I have four positions that are the four most important on the team. My quarterback is number one in the NFL, far and away. Number two is left tackle. you got to protect the quarterback. I need an edge rusher. I need a shutdown corner. I need a number one corner. So that is a priority for to you. To me, it's a priority. It, it may be more important than the edge rusher on every down. An edge rusher is going to make you play a Von Miller type. Von Miller's got a huge contract. But how many plays does Von Miller really play? How many plays is he really a difference maker? He's a difference maker maybe 10 plays a game. But that number one corner is a difference maker on every passing down. Yeah. Because if he's covering your best guy and he's doing a good job, it's now gotten easier for your front to get to the quarterback. Well, and with so many so to me, I, I, it's what I think. I it's the it's one of the four important ones on the team. Here's what I would add to your point too, with the way that RPO offenses are taking over the NFL too. Wouldn't you say it's not even just every passing down anymore? Yeah, I mean you can argue that it's rushing downs too. I mean, yeah, it's you just have to have someone any team forcing teams to run the football, right? Yeah, force them to run the football. It. It, it gives the defensive line time to get to the passer. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about the the, the Bucks, um, the Bucks and the Chiefs didn't spend a lot on that. The Bucks have some quality corners. The Chiefs not as much. The Chiefs did it with great pass rush and then Matthew on the backside, who can kind of do a little bit of everything. But I mean, for Ramsey, it was important to the Rams to have Ramsey, and look how important it was. Ramsey on Chase was the difference in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, last thing, 
Pete Carroll this uh, past week, the NFL owners meetings, uh, he, he called out the owners for not developing enough relationships with black coaches and not hiring enough black coaches. And uh, in particular on the offensive side, and there's going to be an incentive uh, to hire more black offensive coaches out there. And it was something that Pete Carroll was pushing for. And, and even with all that being said, you know, there's a lot of truth to what Carroll said, but when you go back to, okay, show me what you're talking about. At the end of the day, Pete Carroll's never hired a black offensive coordinator ever in his entire NFL coaching career. Um, He's hired black defensive coordinators, but to talk about in Carroll's case, how important it is to, to hire black offensive coaches to get them the best opportunity to be head coaches. It, it, it seemed a lot of calling the kettle black of sorts, you know, a lot of projecting on Pete Carroll's part. Yeah. Uh, Pete Carroll has had a good record of hiring black coaches on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you can go back to Ken Norton being a guy and a few others that he's had there over the years, but I, I would like to know how many of his guys were African-American that were running backs coaches, other than running backs coaches. I mean, how many were there a quarterback coach? Was there receivers coaches? Right, uh, I'm not sure. I'm surprised we don't see more African-American wide receivers coaches just mm-hmm. because it's a position predominantly dominated by, by black men. Right. Um, you see a lot of running backs coaches that are that are black. Well, then um, another point, too. We don't see a guy that coordinator. We don't see a quarterback coach as well. There's a guy in Carroll that's hired some of his own family members. Yeah. Uh, one of his offensive coordinators was another NFL nepotism hire in Brian Schottenheimer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think nepotism is the biggest problem in NFL coaching circles. 100%. I, I think it's the nepotism has been awful. That's why a lot of these young guys haven't gotten the opportunities is because of the nepotism. Brian Schottenheimer is a horrible coach. He should not be coaching football. He should be working at like Lowe's. Yeah, I mean, he he, he worked my job, and I'll swap I'll swap with him. Um, you know, it just there's he got a job because he's the name is Schottenheimer. Uh, Paul Hackett's son just got a job because his last name is Hackett. You know, a long time OC in the NFL. You know, now he's going to have his son be this. Um, you know, the Shanahan kids. Now, Kyle Shanahan's been a good head coach, but. Some of these guys get their opportunities because they're last name. And that is a major problem in a league that's got all sorts of legal issues when it comes to, I mean, look at all the Brian Flores stuff. Brian Flores is not wrong. These guys aren't getting opportunities. And when they do get an opportunity, it's usually a piss poor opportunity. I wouldn't even say that's just in the NFL alone. I mean, Nepotism is the name of the game pretty much anywhere you go, especially I, in the corporate I, world. I think it's just um, most it's obvious really, in the NFL. It's easy to see. It's last name basis. And yeah. if you got the last name, yeah. I mean, done, I don't give a shit. Coach Pee Wee for a year, you got the last name. Yeah. We'll hire I you mean, for however much. I've only coached high school. And, and I, if, if my last name were – if my last name was Reed – I can get a job somewhere. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, I, that's the way I look at it is that there's a lot of guys who are getting these issues, these, these jobs because of what their last name is, who their parent, who their dad was, that sort of thing. And it'll make you a great coach. As can, much can it give you some insight, it might be able to give you some insight. 
but as, doesn't make you a good coach. As much attention has been drawn to the Rooney Rule and the initiatives to try to hire more minority coaches and all this, it's still not addressing the real issue of nepotism. And I don't think that issue is going to be addressed anytime soon, maybe ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's really well put. Is that it has it's not addressed that part league. of it. It's a good it's old boys league. It is a good old boys league, absolutely. But I want to keep. It. Yeah, that's how you yeah. make all your money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before we go, uh, I got to give you credit. You convinced me to go to WrestleMania last week, and okay. uh, I got to tell you, I had one heck of a time. Uh, I have never seen anything like that before. Yeah. So it was not a great show. If you're a wrestling fan, it was just okay. But you, we talked about it afterwards. You and I talked Sunday night. I've never seen a production like that. Yes. And there's nobody that does production like WWE. Nobody. I mean, it's every detail they do, it's down to the detail to what they do um, to make it seamless in every which way. It's unbelievable how good they are at producing a show. The content's not always the greatest. And if you're an old school guy like me, it's really not the greatest. But you brought up the point. I thought it was an incredible point. No one does production like that. Whether it's the pyro or the screens, or even if you're in Texas Stadium or an AT&T Stadium and you're in the upper deck, you feel like you are ringside. Yes. They made you feel that way. And that's, that's what they do really, really well. They make the experience of being there so good, you have to come back. You know, I expected it to be like a, a bunch of, you know, nerdy white guys in their mom's basements, you know, booger-eating guys, you know, there. Um, that crowd was like Raider fans on crack. <laughs> yeah, you. It, it's. I told you people watching wrestling events is nuts. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's mostly men. It's mostly and very males. nice people, by the 18 way. 18 to 30 is the majority of the crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you brought the good one. You said to me that they all got their title belts. Everyone buys their souvenir title. Not every belt. third person was carrying yeah. around some belt. I'm like, what are you I supposed was, to do with that thing? I, I went to a show at my son back in the fall, you know, and my son loves the stuff. So I took him to a show at uh, T Mobile Center. And we see like these three guys, and they're all wearing. Uh, they're all wearing uh, belts. And I said to my son, all right, here's what we're going to do. I was like, we're going to pull one of his pants down real quick. He's going to fall. I'm going to pin him. Peyton, you count the three. And when you get the three, get, I'm getting the belt and we're running. <laughs> you, you're going to carry a championship belt. Be ready for a match. That's yeah. all I got to say. 100%. Uh, I don't understand the whole walk around the title belt thing. What are you I'm supposed to do with now, it? But yeah, I get it. If you want to get it, put it up on your shelf at home, you know, God bless you. But yeah, what are you going to do walking around the time? And they always wear it over their shoulder. Yes. Around their waist. <laughs> you know, so that's like, to me, if you're going to get a title belt, wear it on your waist. You know, I don't know. I, I, that's one thing I don't own. I don't own a wrestling title belt. I own okay. a lot of memorabilia, but no wrestling title belt. That's a little surprising, actually. I thought you know, you'd have at least one. I, if I was, I know which one I'd want if I could ever get it. Okay. Of course you but do. I, 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 but I'll never be able to find it. Oh, gosh. I don't want the real, I want the real one too. I couldn't just settle for like a, you know, a re, a re, you know, a, right. I want the real one. And those yeah. things are expensive. Whoever has them, I mean, they're, they're like people who collect those like nationwide and they, 
They have their own little groups. Those things are worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. There's like, uh, I, I talk all day about that. I'm telling you, man. I love seeing uh, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar. That was good. Uh, the highlight for me was my guy, Pat McAfee, on that stage and McAfee's taking good. the stunner and everything. Vince McMahon had to ruin it, of course. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, McAfee, he, he's got a future in this. I mean, I, I know he's a commentator. I'd love to see him be a full-time WWE superstar. Yeah. So I thought it was funny. It was like, even today, we were recording this Wednesday. Um, even today, Stephen A. Smith was talking on ESPN with um oh Chris Russo with Russo with Mad Dog Russo and they brought up McAfee and they're both like dude he's great at this and he is McAfee is awesome I'm a he's the I'm best a thing to happen to WWE in years yes um yeah he might be he's he's incredible did you were you there I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday where he got up on top of the table and he dances when one of the guys music comes on uh, no, that was the night before. That might have been Saturday. Okay, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched, I, I watched fleetingly on Sunday night. I watched the parts that I wanted to watch with my kid. Yeah. It wasn't much. I was doing other stuff, and then he watched Saturday night for me, so I didn't have to. Told me the two or three things to go watch, and luckily it's on Peacock, so I went back and watched it that way. Bo, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Yeah, Thanks for stopping by and joining us. Cheers, WrestleMania. Tyler Jones, Coach Bo, we got to bring Tom Bridges. Or or send Tom and I. No, no, no. I got to go again. What's Final Four weekend? <laughs> it's always Final Four weekend now. So you got to make Maybe I could go from the Final Four to WrestleMania to back to the Final Four. You might have to work that out. You got to get a sponsor to get you a plane. <laughs> but uh, Tom, are you in for that? You know, I've, I've never been. It's at okay. SoFi next year. It's at SoFi next year. You can take my month. WWE virginity. Tom Bridges and Coach Bo can burn down SoFi at WrestleMania. Shit, I'd probably be down. It'd be a wild time. I got it. We're in. I'm in. I'm going if you I'm, – I'm willing to jump on board on this. So Okay. We'll make it happen. We'll make that happen. Bo, go watch some young Sheldon, and uh, we'll talk to you <laughs> next week. <laughs> oh, if they just knew what we talked about when we're not on here. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I watch an episode of Young Sheldon for you there, Tyler. Uh, y'all have a good night. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go ahead and talk uh, NBA here. The Lakers could not even make the play-in game. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all have a laugh for the Lakers, right? Um, and, you know, LeBron can't even play and he leaves during the middle of the game and such. And wow, just what a uh, bizarre turn of events, a roller coaster season for the uh, Lakers, you know, and it ends with him not even making playoff play in game at this point. And Andy Davis, of course, was injured most of the year. And, you know, Russell, Will- Russell, Will- Russell Westbrook played bad. Um, and, you know, LeBron, of course, uh, you know, he, he played great, but you know, he didn't, he wasn't there when they needed him. And, you know, there, there's a lot of blame to go around. Um, you know, Russell Westbrook's going to get a lot of it. You know, uh, I heard Dan Dockage say this about Westbrook and I think it's a good point. As much as I love the guy, he's not wrong in saying this. Russell Westbrook is a, you know, he's a good player, but he's good enough to get your coach fired. 
And Frank Vogel could never figure out how to use Russell Westbrook appropriately. And, you know, they, they shot way too much and couldn't change the offense and they could never get healthy enough. And I mean, it was just a mess. And uh, Frank Vogel's out of a job. And I think this Lakers team, Tom's about to blow up here. I think there's a good chance that we, uh, we don't even see LeBron back in LA next year, potentially. Well, think about it too. I mean, their pick just, um, I, th- I think if they would have made the playoffs, they would have got to keep their first round pick. Now their pick conveys to the New Orleans Pelicans, um, which is makes it all that funnier just because they're, you know, aging. And, you know, if you would have, if you would have told me you had a team of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, all on the same team, I don't know, seven years ago, they would, it would be insane. Um, you know, fortunately for us that don't like the Lakers, they it's seven years later and the Lakers have missed the play in, you know, it's, it's funny to me, Jones. And, you know, I come at this with a chip on my shoulders being a Spurs fan. Um, and people talk about the Spurs. They're great forever. Literally made the playoffs for essentially what was almost all of my life before missing the last couple. Um, you know, they, they get Tim Duncan named to the NBA, uh, you know, 75 best players class, and that was it. And then you have a team like the Lakers where I'm, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook all made the 75. Melo probably did too. Melo did, sure. and uh, Dwight Howard missed. Okay, I, th- I thought maybe Dwight Howard would have missed it. Uh, granted, they're all, you know, aging, but still you have that many players in the top 75 and you can't even make the play in. Um, I set, you know, as this show is being recorded, this is on a Wednesday. I set last night and I watched the Spurs somehow without DeJounte Murray um, beat the Denver Nuggets, um, which all but put the Lakers rest of their season in jeopardy and then watched the Suns dismantle them. Um and, and you know what, that, you know, that goes to say, even if the, if the Lakers or the Pelicans or the Spurs or I guess the, the seed after that, would, I guess it would be the Clippers, I'm guessing, are eighth. Um, yes. Whoever's eighth seed is going to get dismantled by the Suns and probably a 4-0 sweep and, unless, they can, unless they can do something different because the Suns, the way they play, reminds me a lot of, of the Spurs in 2014. Um, but just the fact that the Lakers missed, especially at the beginning of the season, you know, LeBron tweets out, I don't, you know, you guys can come at me with your aging personnel and all this other, whatever he said, all this other BS. He said, you guys just watch at the end of the season, something, something essentially said, we're going to win it all. And all the other, I, I would like to go back and listen to our show Jones on who we thought was going to be there in the end. I can, as much as I hate to say it, I bet we probably said the Lakers were going to be one of the final teams. Um, Neither one of us picked them to go to the finals. I, I know that much. Right. We probably put Suns, Bucks, or Nets, Nets, Suns, or something like that. I'm sure. Um, or maybe we probably even, I think we, I even said maybe Nuggets is a dark horse. Um, but they never got Jamal Murray back even, but they're still right there, still playing great basketball. But, um, you know, I, I love it. 
Jones, and I know you love it too, just the downfall of the Lakers. Um, they're about to go back into to a, to a sad time in L.A. Yeah, and this tenure for LeBron um, in L.A., you missed the playoffs in his first year. Second year was the Mickey Mouse Championship. <laughs> I like that. That's what I was about to say, the Mickey Mouse and in Championship. these last two years, they, you know, missed the playoffs as well. Um, you know, what's LeBron really had to show for in L.A.? I mean, he's more interested in being a mogul and making movies and all this, you know, and and uh, I, I feel like that now we are in – where the, the, the part of LeBron's career where if he's going to win a title again, he's not the number one option anymore. Um, you know, he could be a very good number two or number three, but, you know, th this is this is LeBron's cake, and he's got to eat it too. You know, I mean, this is exactly where he's wanted to be, big market, you know, historic franchise, and honestly, he doesn't really have that much to show for it. No, he doesn't. And, and you know, I think it's funny. We, you talk about him being not the number one option. Sure, he can be the number one option, but uh, it's not panning out anymore. Um, I mean, the man's 37, and he's on the verge of winning a score. You know, I, he's probably not going to play again this season. I think two games left. So he, he probably will lose the scoring championship. Right. Uh, scoring title, rather. But, I mean, he can still put up points. I mean, he was 37 dropping almost like – it was crazy. He was putting up like 37 a game for like the past five games that he played in. So he can still score. It's just not advantageous to have him as the number one option or right. to rely. It disrupts the entire flow of the game. Um, I mean, we saw it. It's the same way with Russell Westbrook. Sure, you, if, you, if he's your number one option and you rely on him, you live and die by Westbrook. Well, but, and, and you know, the, the thing about LeBron option. too, Tom, is if – if we just looked at LeBron purely as just the basketball player, not any of the other stuff, the way that he plays the game, it is beautiful basketball. It is the way it's supposed to be played. He's a great team player on the floor. He plays unselfish. He can play all five spots. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's great, but it's the being a bad GM and, you know, leaving games early and being, you know, a woke social justice lawyer and such, you know, all that other crap that, you know, just gets tiresome, that takes away, that taunts, you know, that, that hurts his legacy and such that, uh, you know, holds him back of some sorts. If LeBron was just, you know, the, the, the young selfish basketball player, if that's what we knew him by, um, his career would be totally different than what it is. I, I feel like that other stuff, as good as he's been, he could have been even better. Yeah, probably so. And just draws a lot of attention, you know. He, you know, he's been known to essentially coach the teams he's on. Uh, I'd like to see the number of coaches he's been through. Um, I can't I can't even begin to name them. Um, I mean, Vogel, Lou, who was in who was in LA when he first got there? Was it Tyron Lou? It was uh, Luke Walton. Oh, okay. And then Tyron Lou and then Frank Vogel. Oh, uh, no. For, Tyron Lou was never head coach of the Lakers. He was with the Clippers. Oh, was he? Okay. I thought, did, okay. I, for whatever reason, I thought LeBron played for Tyron Lou. He did in, in, with the Cavs. Okay. So there's another coach. And then I, I, it, it would take a while for me to remember all the ones. Um, but yeah, just 
pretty much every coach that that coaches a team he's on. A lot of them don't have a backbone. I think that's why LeBron would never play for Popovich. Why he would, you know, granted he played for Eric Spolster, who I think is a great coach. Um, but that was when Spolster was young and spry. Now I don't think that would fly as much. Uh, granted, Eric Spolster has done well in Miami. Obviously, they're the number one seed in the East, and he has to put up with the likes of Jimmy Butler. So, you know, LeBron's not going to come across a coach that he can't bully a little bit. Um, which, you know, he plays the way he wants to play. He's arguably the best basketball player of all time. Mm-hmm. I guess black for that. You could say Jordan. You could say LeBron. I think it's even at this point, um, especially I think next year, LeBron probably passes Kareem for all-time points. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's still funny, though. I mean, I like LeBron as a basketball player and respect his greatness, but uh, from my end of things, f- the Lakers. <laughs> oh yes well said there uh looking at the uh, western conference uh real quick we mentioned the suns uh playing so good and so much better than everybody else and one of the things i mentioned last week what's so unique is what chris paul is doing to make that team better i mean uh i don't even know if deandre Ayton likes to play basketball but chris paul is pushing him as hard as humanly possible i think he's pushing DeAndre Ayton harder than he's ever known before. And, you know, if Golden State, I think Golden State's the only team in the West that can challenge the Suns, and that's if they get healthy, you know, get Steph back and all that. If not, um, I think that the Suns take care of the West with ease, Tom. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, I mentioned the Nuggets earlier. No Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr. is still out. Um, Joker, the Joker – Arguably, I think the Joker, a um, little small side tangent here. Joker's my MVP. Um, just what he, without the Nuggets, without Joker, not in, in the playoffs. Um, not whatsoever. And at, at the beginning of the season, I mentioned they might be a dark horse. I don't think they, I don't think Joker can, can handle the, the strength of the West. Uh, you know, a lot of people like the Grizzlies, and damn, it's hard not to like them. They got a great future, but I don't know if they're, they're ready, if this is their time. <laughs> experience is not there. Joe Morant, uh, he's been hurt, granted, even in his absence. Uh, the Grizzlies have been playing great. Um, you know, they they have – Dylan Brooks has been phenomenal. Steven Adams has done his part. Kyle Anderson has played well off the bench. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been crazy good for them. They have all the right pieces, um, and, and I, I think next year is Memphis's year. I really, really do. Um and I, I think this is going to be the good experience year. I, I'd like to see them in the Western Conference Finals against the Suns. I don't know that it'll happen. Um, you know, any of the play-in teams, it's, it's not going to happen. The Clippers, no. Spurs, no. Pelicans, no. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, that's not happening. Um, so, I, I mean, it's really the Suns to lose in the West. They'd have to have a massive, uh, a massive mess up. Right, right. Uh, let's look at the East now. Uh, Miami, really good team. Uh, they're the one seed right now. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler's been good. Uh, you know, Tyler Hero has taken a nice step up. I mean, and that dude for a white guy has got a lot of a lot of attitude, a lot of swagger to him. You know, he he's like a 
It reminds me of like Scott Disick or something, you know. I mean, like <laughs> he, he's a character, you know. I mean, I think um, I have to. Boston uh, is playing good, but you know, I, I'm not. I'm not buying in. You know, I, I don't know if if uh, if you know Jason Tatum is ready to lead a team to a championship yet. I still think Milwaukee, even though that they're sitting in third place tied with the Philadelphia 76ers right now, they got the best player in the world. And they've been on this stage before. They know how to turn it on when it matters. Uh, I still think Milwaukee's the team to beat. Philly, for me, uh, even though them and Milwaukee have the same record, two opposite directions, I think. Philly is not getting the most out of James Harden right now. I think we're starting to see James Harden in the decline of his career at this point. Um, The back end of his prime, I think, is here. Um, If they were getting James Harden from two years ago, Philly probably wins the East, but they're not getting that from right now. I think that's what's ultimately holding them back from their potential. Uh, Could he turn it on? Maybe, but right now I'm still riding with the defending champs in each conference, uh, Milwaukee and Phoenix here. What about you with the East, Tom? Jones, uh, I'm going to say what a lot of people said about the Bulls. I liked the Bulls at the beginning. I thought DeRozan was an MVP candidate. You know, too many injuries. Levine gets hurt. Lonzo goes down. Uh, the Bulls are kind of where the Grizzlies are. I think if they can continue on next year, I don't know that they'll be able to retain Zach Levine. I'd like to see Zach Levine in San Antonio Spurs uniform next year, but that might be wishful thinking. Um, that being said, the Bulls are a first-round exit. Uh, you mentioned – the Celtics. I like the Celtics. I'm really high on the Celtics right now. Um, I think I think it's either them or I think I think it's the Bucks. Um, I could I you know I watched I've been watching a lot of NBA here lately in the final I don't know tw- last 20 games I've been watching almost every night. Um, one to see if the Spurs could pull it out and make the play in, and they did. Um, two, to kind of see how the playoffs are shaping up. And I've been watching the Celtics as well. You know, they traded Josh Richardson in a first-rounder for Derek White. Uh, and, you know, ever since that has happened, I think they've kind of turned a corner. They were – Spurs were supposed to get that pick, and it was supposed to convey to the 19th is what it was projected at one time. Now it's like upper echelon 20s. Um, I like what the Celtics have to do, and and – for some reason, the Bucks. I don't feel like are playing up to the potential yet. Um, Philly kind of has the Denver Nuggets problem. You know, how how long can Joel Embiid, you know, fight? You know, can they rely on him the whole playoffs? He's been incredible this season. I, I think Denver and Philly, I would love to see a series between Jokic and Embiid. I would love to see Nuggets 76ers even as like a consolation prize playoff series that that's a pipe dream series for me we'll never get it um because the east and the west unless they do away with conferences but jones if i had to pick two if i had to pick two for the finals i think you would pick suns bucks from what it sounds like i'm gonna say Suns celtics okay okay um interesting um before we uh, move on from the NBA here, I do want to talk about the Basketball Hall of Fame class that was just announced this week. Um, you know, first off, Tom, last year when, when, when Tony Kukoc got in the Hall of Fame, 
all of a sudden at that point, I'm like, okay, the standards for this Hall of Fame are way too low. Uh, Tony Kuko should not be a Hall of Famer uh, under any circumstance. Like, he was a backup <laughs> with the Bulls, and he made the Hall. Uh, th- that didn't make any sense to me. I know that he had a good international career and such, but, I mean, really? Um, with that said, I think that apply. this is not a great Hall of Fame class. I mean, Bob Huggins gets in. He reached the Final Four twice. Um, it, it's yeah, he had 900 wins, but it was over a 45 year stretch. Took him 45 years to win 900 games. George Carl gets in the Hall of Fame. Same thing 27 seasons in the league, reached the playoffs 22 times with five different teams. Um, again, you know, I, I like Bob Huggins, I really do. I think Bob's a good coach, but Hall of Fame, no, that's a career achievement award. George Carl, good coach. Hall of Fame, no, that's a career achievement award. Um, you know, Manu Ginobili, great resume. Tim Hardaway, hmm, Hall of Fame again, kind of career achievement, I feel like, uh, for, for what he has done. To me, this is not a great Hall of Fame class. Manu Ginobili is the highlight of it. Um, you know, he's in, but really the rest of the way, to me, this, this doesn't jump off the page for me. I, I think that we need to reevaluate what we think of as a hall of famer tom and i've i've said it time and time again i've said it for i've said i said in 2011 manager ginobili first round hall of famer for our first ballot and you know maybe it was a, a different class maybe he doesn't get in his first ballot it was a weak class i will say that but i will i will revel in the fact that i did say manager ginobili would be first ballot hall of I'll stick by that fact because it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. It's the, it's the overall basketball Hall of Fame. But you mentioned um, Kuko and you mentioned the international career. Uh, Ginobili actually, you know, beat the new age USA dream team um, and took Argentina and won that gold against the USA back in like 04. And, and have we ever mentioned basketball in Argentina since? No, that was – uh, that when Argentina won it that year, that was that, that was almost like a St. Peter's run, except St. Peter's winning it. That came out of left field. Yeah, and the, the people that he went up against, you know, the he, hell he went against, you know, Tim Duncan, you know, his own teammate, and then they Ginobili was still able to pull it off. He led that team of like Fabrizio Berto and Nancolo and several others. I'm sure I'm forgetting one off the top. Um, for the Argentinian team. But I, I think that that gold medal, I think that kind of cemented Ginobili in after his other career accolades. Um, I think that was kind of the one, your one shining moment type deal of that's not been done again. Um, so was happy there. But like you mentioned, yeah, kind of a ah, class, kind of like, well, you know, especially because, you know what, two years ago, it was Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett. Right. Eddie Sutton, yeah. You're right, like, okay, like, yeah, like you know, you you take that a little one bit. Of the best, that was maybe the greatest class ever. Then we get this class. Right. I mean, golly, you know, and last year, Ben Wallace made it in. Ben Wallace? Come on. Like, no. Know. Ben Wallace yeah. not have been a Hall of Famer. I mean, golly. Um, yeah, we, we got to reevaluate this whole Hall of Fame process. Um, you know, it, it's it's too much. Too many guys are getting in. 
you know, and back to Bob Huggins too. Like I said, I like the guy. I like Bob Huggins a lot. Um, you know, he's had a good career and such, but that's a career achievement award. I mean, look at his time in the Big 12. Have they been good? Sure. It's tough played in Morgantown. But if Bob Huggins is a Hall of Famer, then does that make uh, Lon Kruger a Hall of Famer? Does that make Rick Barnes a Hall of Famer? I mean, like, when does it end at that point? You know, I mean, like, uh, is Chris Beard already in the Hall of Fame for taking Texas Tech to a natty? I mean, where, where, where does it end? If, if that is the standard, if Bob Huggins get to get in, being an no, above natural. average Big 12 coach, who else is going to? I mean, uh, Eddie Sutton, it okay. took him. Eddie Sutton should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. And how long did it take him? And Bob Huggins walks in on his first try? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know the, you know, I forget the the years you have to be. I don't, I don't know the qualifications to be on the ballot or how that works. But is is this the best they could come up with for the qualifying class? Uh, it's hard to believe, but I mean, maybe, uh, maybe it's even with his his cheating. Uh, I put Kelvin Sampson in before I put in Bob Huggins. Right. I mean, it's, it's tough to do. And you think about it, maybe you think they, I think maybe what, what needs to happen is I, I think they, how much they put in 10 every year. Is that the, is that I believe the, so. maybe they need to limit it to like, okay, well, you know, we can take up to 10 type thing. It doesn't have I, to be like the baseball up. hall of fame. You have to reach, reach a certain percentage. Right. Like, it, you know, and, you know, we can take up to 10, but we could also only take seven. Right. Um, you know, George Carl, like. I like George. Hall of Famer, I don't know. I like George I, Carl. I mean, he was a journeyman. I mean, that's like, um, that's like putting Joe Flacco in the Hall of Fame in football. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a weird comparison, but yeah. <laughs> I think I Carl versus Joe Flacco today, but did not. And Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, I did not have the bingo card. <laughs> Joe George Carl and Joe Flacco. Same guy? Hmm. Never seen him in the same room. Yeah. Who knows? Anyways, <laughs> with that being said, enough uh enough crapping on the Hall of Fame class. Congrats to everybody <laughs> for making it, even if you shouldn't have. Um, final segment before we get out of here, our Tom Fullery story of the week, where we find something foolish happening somewhere in the world. Tom, where shall we head to this time? Jones, we're going on a jet plane. Um, we're going southwest. One of my favorite, you know, honestly, I haven't flown a lot, to be honest with you. But if I had to pick an airline that I am fond of over, I, I feel like I've flown I've flown Spirit. No, I haven't flown Spirit. Have I? I've flown Breeze. I've flown United, um, Southwest, American. I've flown them, you know, the main ones. Um, and if I had to pick one, I would pick Southwest. Jones. I love Southwest. The Summer of Jones needs to be sponsored by Southwest because that's where most of my travels are done from. I mean, Southwest is top notch. Um, you know, every time I've been on Southwest Airlines, I've never had a problem. Um, other airlines have been delayed and, you know, it's just not as been a good ex experience. 
um, compared to Southwest. But but Jones, I don't like him enough to be jacking off on the plane mid-flight. All right, one guy, a guy named Antonio Sherrard McGarity, likes Southwest enough to jack off four times mid-flight. And this comes from Fox News. This was on April 5th. Southwest, Southwest Airlines passenger masturbates four times mid-flight, calls it kind of kinky. Feds say Antonio Sherrard McGarity allegedly admitted to the lewd acts and said he asked the woman if it was okay beforehand. A nightmare, a nightmare passenger aboard Southwest Airlines flight was banned from the airline for life after authorities say he pleasured himself four times with his genitals out in front of other passengers during a trip from Washington to Arizona. Authorities added that he said it was kind of kinky that a woman next to him did not appear to be uncomfortable with it, according to court papers and officials. Antonio Sherrard McGarity is accused of committing lewd and decent obscene acts while aboard the nearly three-hour flight on Saturday, according to a federal criminal complaint later made public. According to court documents, McGarity was sitting in seat 11F of Southwest Airlines Flight 3814. Jones, remind me if I'm ever on that airplane, 3814, Flight 3814, or I'm never, just to be safe here, anytime I fly Southwest again, I will not be sitting in seat 11F. <laughs> I, I, will, I will not be sitting there. From Seattle, Washington to Phoenix, Arizona, when he exposed his penis and masturbated while in view of the female passengers sitting next to him. His attorney, God, you know, they say lawyer, you know, your mom, dad, you know, what do you want your son to grow up to be? I want him to be a doctor, a lawyer, da 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 da. Whatever. This would be so hard to be the attorney for this case. How do you defend this? His attorney, federal public defender, Matt, and it's a woman at that has to defend him. Public defender Madeline Mayer told Fox Digital News, Fox News Digital, sorry, where it would refresh on me. She looks forward to McGarity's day in court. Um, due process is the cornerstone of our legal system, she wrote in an email Tuesday. This process ensures that Mr. McGarity's constitutional rights are protected. Damn, she had, man, that's it. She had to bite her lip on that one, I'm sure. This is, this is some of the stuff, this, some of this public defending shit. Is I get it. It's your job to be a public defender, and you have to try your best. But God, stuff like this would be like, all right, man. Listen, we're going to take a plea deal here. Uh, we're going to get you the least amount of time. Uh, we're going to get you the least amount of fees. Um, anyway, article proceeds on. Seated next to woman, McGarity allegedly waited till the flight had taken off before he lowered his pants and shorts and began pleasuring himself with his genitalia exposed. The woman seated in seat 11E snapped photos of some explicit acts and later complained and was ultimately moved to a different seat on the plane. She later told Phoenix Police Department McGarity masturbated on four separate occasions. This guy, he, he's ambidextrous, using both his left and right hand for paper state. <laughs> There's a tweet from Mike Singleton. Um... Oh, okay. Now this see this gets crazy. This is the tone fuller I've been looking for for a while. Mike Singleton. I don't know who that is. He's verified. Um, he tweets, "What a jerk!" Antonio McGarity was arrested when Southwest Airlines Flight 3814 landed in Phoenix for pulling down his pants and masturbating four times. The incident started early on the three-hour flight. Southwest has slapped him with a lifetime ban. There was a picture included in that tweet, which comes from a legal document that reads. 
After Southwest Airlines flight 3814 landed in Phoenix, the female witness sitting next to McGarity was interviewed by Phoenix police officers. She advised McGarity expo- she advised that McGarity exposed his penis by pulling down his pants and shorts and proceeded to masturbate during the first hour of the flight, starting shortly after takeoff. McGarity masturbated with his exposed penis in view of the female passenger on four separate occasions using both his left and right hands. She suspected that McGarity ejaculated because he li- <laughs> because he licked a white substance from his fingers. <laughs> right? Like, come on. A Southwest Airlines spokesperson told Fox News Digital on, wait a second, does that, that he doesn't get to be like an honorary member of the Mile High Club? <laughs> I know. Uh, I is think he's like, on the Mile Low Club. Yeah, is, is the Mile High is the Mile High Club that easy to get into, like the Basketball Hall of Fame? If you ejaculate on a plane, did, are we letting people who just ejaculate on planes get in now? That's that's what Bob Huggins does. All Bob was Huggins did. Bob Huggins never had sex on a plane. He's only ejaculated on a plane, and they let <laughs> Bob Huggins in. <laughs> That's what they, did. they never had sex on a plane. They just jack. They just ejaculated on a plane. A Southwest Airlines spokesperson told Fox News on Tuesday, crew members stepped in as soon as they learned what was happening. God, that would have been a terrible day to be on that flight. <laughs> that, would, right. that would be worse than someone not wearing a mask and like being a Karen on the flight. Like we see so many of those videos. The cap- caption requested law enforcement meet the plane upon its arrival. We immediately placed the passenger who exhibited the lewd behavior on our no-fly list, resulting in a lifetime ban from traveling on Southwest Airlines. Uh, the FBI later interviewed McGarity when he admitted to the lewd behavior and said he had reached orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> he went on to say he knew the woman was aware of what he was doing and added she. he also knew she photographed his alleged acts. McGarity advised he asked the female witness if she minded if he masturbates. According to McGarry, the female witness put her hands in the air and said, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) He allegedly added that he did not think the woman was uncomfortable with the acts. Jones, some of the that comes across here is incredible. I mean, that just reads... I mean... <laughs> one of the one of the replies to that to that tweet from from uh, Fox News, someone put "Come on board." They said, "Gosh!" <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go, Jones. The question we've been waiting for. This is my favorite part. Someone else asked, "Is he eligible for the Mile High Club now?" <laughs> Hands solo high. Half, <laughs> someone put half mile high. Half mile high. <laughs> Someone else put mile high selfie. Man, like, you know, first of all, uh, you know, I, I'm not one to judge anyone how people find um, pleasure, happiness, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, if you need to do it that bad, like, you can't go to the bathroom. I mean, like, you know, you, you, you can't do it there. You know, you, you had to do it. In the, uh, this, to me, was intentional. This guy knew exactly what he was getting into here. He knew this could happen. I mean, if he didn't, I mean, he's 
you know, got to like have some mental disability or something. I mean, like this guy knew exactly what he was doing. Right. Someone also said, was he in the injection seat? <laughs> Man, it's, I mean, some of the stuff cannot write itself. Someone said, as long as he was wearing a mask, which is perfect. <laughs> I mean, that's, this is one of, this is a, this one, this one we go back and refer to. I feel like give us about six, six to six to twelve weeks time span, and this will get brought up on the show again somehow as a joke. Um, those are the best ones, like the mayo. Mine that we bring up, the mayonnaise, the mayo, Florida, and the uh, any poop story, and then the sewage in the middle of the town. Yeah, um, this goes in the Tom Fulry Hall of Fame. Right, yeah, it has to. And this one deserves a first ballot. This is not any Bob Huggins type story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is one that, that gets Bob Huggins excited. Yeah, I was. God, God bless Bob Huggins. He would never, he would, I don't know. I mean, Four times on a plane on a three-hour flight. Someone also put on here. The pilot must have been uh, impressed by his stick control. Golly, people. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, some of these, uh, you know, some of these, like I said, some of this cannot write itself, folks. Um, I mean, this is, can you imagine being on that flight? Was there not like an outrage? Like, was right. it was it a nighttime flight? Was it? It had to have been dark. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's got his hand in his pants. This man's got his full cock out on the flight. Like no blanket over it or anything. Right. I mean, this he was looking for attention. There's there's no way. And and then the lady took pictures of it. Like if I'm sitting next to somebody and they whip out their dick mid mid flight and start jacking it, I'm gonna say something, and I'm not gonna keep it discreet. So, I'm gonna. I mean, the plane's gonna know. One time, back when I was in Omaha, I was uh, I was at a Chinese restaurant, and I was just picking up food, just picking up takeout, and. This woman who looked like she'd been off her meds or something just literally flashed her tits at me. Um, and I'm like, what was that? And then I'm like, this is as I'm leaving. And then I like get out there and go home. Like I was weirded out by it. Um, I didn't call police or anything like that. You know, I just ran left away, you know, just went on my day, went on my business here. But I mean, seeing a pair of tits. Or you know somebody's cock is is uh, is a whole different thing than seeing somebody actually you know pleasure themselves here. I'd be mortified if uh, if I saw that. You know, it's th those are that that's the closest encounter I've had of just anything like in the public like that. Have, have you been? Have you had any uh, strange encounters in the public like that, Tom? Jones, I've had one. It was at a karaoke night a couple of years ago on Bartlesville's annual Christmas crawl which is uh, a bar crawl from a, it, it has like four bars that you go to. And this was at Angelo's and I was hosting karaoke that night and it was club was packed. Right. 
I mean, it's wall to wall. Every Christmas crawl, though, is like, I'm, like you've been in any of those, I believe. Yeah. I know, actually. You've, so it's not a big place, but it's not small. And so you could probably fit, I don't know, I'm going to say probably 250, 300 people in there at least. At least. Um, and it's packed in there. And a lady comes up to me. She's probably in her mid-40s, maybe 50. You would never have known. She did. She seemed calm. She didn't seem super drunk. She she comes to sign up for a song, and she signs. She comes and signs up for "Like a Virgin" by Madonna. Okay, you know I've heard people sing it multiple times, especially in a big crowd. You know, there's a the the median age in this in this Christmas crawl is probably thirty five. Okay, and so it, it gets some play. You know, the classic. Well, it's a classic, and so. She signs up for it. I'm like, okay, whatever. I've never seen this lady in my life. I've never seen her again after this either. Um, she comes up, not an attractive woman, not ugly, but not attractive by any means. Comes up, gets on stage, and the song starts, and every you know, everybody's in it. Everybody's super drunk at this point. Hell, I'm even super drunk because I'd been to the previous three bars. I'd set up my karaoke stuff before because I always participate in the Christmas crawl. It's my favorite Bartlesville event every year. It's, it's an absolute blast. Um, and it's all the bars are within walking distance and everybody kind of knows everybody because it's Bartlesville. It's great. It's a great time. And it goes to help a good cause. Um, the cause rotates every year, but that's beside the point. This lady gets up on stage, starts like a virgin. I have a video of it. I'll send it to you. Um, She's I don't know, about a quarter of the way through the song, she flops on the floor, and I'm like, what in the world's going on? Everyone's like, uh... And then the chorus starts, and she puts her hand in her pants and starts doing the deed while she's still singing. You know? She's literally this woman's fingering herself while she's singing like a virgin. What the hell? Touched for the very first time, and she's rhythming around on the floor and going, you know, she's spinning the wheel down there <laughs> and everyone is screaming the hooting and hollering and you know she kept going and uh for most of the song laid on the floor and did what she needed to do and she the mic was on the floor after she got up and i went and got the bleach and disinfected that microphone i didn't personally use that microphone for the rest of the night um, other people did still sing into it, but um, yeah, yeah, I'll have to send you that video. It's a, it's an all time Angelo's classic moment. We discuss it every now and then, me and the main bartender. There's a lot of classic moments, but that one sticks out. That's the close, that's probably the closest of, of any public incident that I've seen something like that. Man, that's an all time classic, it's an all time classic moment. It sounds like it, yeah. All right, well. We better transition out of here and uh, go home. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed today's show. You laughed and cried and had a great time with us today. Big thanks to Nick Cousin for stopping by. Yeah. Or if you did, I don't know if I want to know about it, but I'm glad you get pleasure from this show. Yeah. Hopefully this show was a pleasure. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> hopefully you you just went up and down watching this show you know li listening in and uh you got excited about it you know uh, it was our pleasure 
it's, it was our pleasure to bring it to you. You know, I mean, you, you, you got us uh, really excited, folks. Yeah, to do this show. <laughs> five stars or don't give us one at all. Right. You better give us five stars. Yeah. <laughs> if we pleasured you during this show, yeah, you better give us five stars. Uh, or don't give us <laughs> five stars at all. <laughs> Subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Also check us out on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at, two, at Studio underscore Soapbox, uh, at Thomas underscore Bridges, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, and Jones underscore Report is where you can find us there. Check out the Studio Soapbox Network. This show out each, each and every Thursday. You also have Raw Tools with Luke Slaybaugh, um, as well as uh, the Coach Bo Knows podcast with uh, Brian O'Connor, who you heard earlier in the show, and then uh, the Bevo Boys, and, and uh, Let's Go Racing with David Starr as well. All part of the Studio Soapbox Network. Check out all our shows by uh, just searching Studio Soapbox. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find all our shows there. And uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. For Thomas Bridges, Brian O'Connor, Nick Cousin, our entire group of Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. Thank you.